Chapter 17. Flint. Flint snorted. Find something that's forgotten and then blow it from the stars. I was all for trusting in Esker's voice, but what you're suggesting is downright impossible. It doesn't even make sense. White fur stayed very still. And there I was, thinking you were an inventor, someone who believed in impossible, illogical things. Flint narrowed his eyes. Up until an hour ago, he had thought all Erkenwald's grown-ups were imprisoned at Winterfang, and yet here was Whitefur, an adult walking free and armed with all sorts of surprising knowledge. What do you know about my being an inventor? Whitefur shrugged. I can see the magnifying glass poking out of your rucksack, infused with rainbow essence, I assume. Flint gasped. How could Whitefur know that unless... I'm guessing you found the Wanderer's Shield, into which the earliest Wanderers carved their knowledge of magic. He paused. We thought it had been lost years ago. I'm glad it's been found by someone open to Erkenwald's wonders. Flint's eyes widened at the realisation of what he had stumbled across. Then he sniffed. Yes, well, I'm not doing any more inventing because it keeps getting me in trouble. Brilliant ideas often meet with scorn, Whitefur replied, in the beginning, anyway. But you'll show them, boy. You'll show them all when you find the Frosthorn. If we find the Frosthorn, Flint mumbled. Whitefur clasped his hands together. We wanderers believe that after the North Star breathed life into Erkenwald, he hid the Frosthorn somewhere in the kingdom so that its magic might hover over the land long after he left. No one has ever found it, but I've heard it said that the songs of the Feather tribe talk of this horn. And it's my belief that if you can find these outlawed children, they might be able to help you. Do you know where they are? Esker asked. Whitefur shifted. I think they've gone into hiding in the Lost Chambers, a warren of secret passageways inside the Nevercliffs, but I don't think anyone has ever found them either. So we're searching for two things no one has ever found, Flint said. Following magic is almost always a complicated affair. Whitefur paused. But if you can find the Feather Tribe and win their loyalty then they will talk to you about the Frosthorn. He glanced at Flint. You'll need the Fur Tribe on your side, too, eventually, because only when all the tribes unite will we beat the Ice Queen. Unite the tribes? Flint nearly choked on his words. Esker blew out through her teeth. So, if we find the Lost Chambers... If we make friends with the Feather Tribe, and if we then locate this Frosthorn, we've got to blow it from the stars. Blue poked her head out from under the table. Stars, long way, Esker. Whitefur smiled. Yes, a long way away, but possible to reach with magic on your side. Blue clambered out and placed her chubby hands on her hips. What are you talking about? And where's cup of tea? Pebble and me thirsty. Whitefur nodded. I quite agree, Blue. Impossible things are often easier to believe after a mug of tea. 
Esker set about brewing some pine needle tea and roasting a rabbit she'd caught the day before, while Blue padded up to Flint and leant close to his ear. What's happening, big brother? Flint put an arm round her waist. We've got to find something, Blue. Find Ma? she asked hopefully. Flint shook his head. Not yet, but soon. Blue picked at her dirt-clogged nails. Miss Ma, Flint. Miss her. Love her. Flint nodded. Me too. And then, into the quietness of the hideaway, Blue began to cry. Little snivels that choked her throat and made her shoulders shake. Ma, she sobbed. What? White fur stood up and bent down on one knee, holding out his hands. Blue, he whispered, I have something for you. She wiped the tears from her face. Come, he said, give me your hands. Blue looked at Flint, who nodded. Then, very slowly, Blue walked towards White fur and held out her hands. The old man wrapped them in his, as if they were precious little stones. Then he closed his eyes and drew in a very deep breath. His chest and shoulders rose beneath his furs. His old, cracked lips drew tight, and then he opened his mouth and let his breath out. Tiny flecks of snow spread from his lips into a cloud of falling silver that glinted in the lamplight and showered around blue. Esker looked up from the stove and gasped. What is it? Diamond dust, Flint whispered. It occurs when snow freezes to ice as it falls. Only Urken bears have breath as cold as this. Blue blinked into the dancing flakes, her face full of awe, and White Fur continued to breathe out, his eyes still closed, as the diamond dust filled the hideaway, scattering glitter around Flint and Esker and they laughed then at the touch of ice on their faces and the sight of magic working for them alone. Whitefur opened his eyes and the diamond dust vanished. Then he smiled. It will protect you on your journey through the Nevercliffs. At the time when you need help most, say my name. You're an Urken bear, aren't you? Flint said quietly, trying hard to make sense of things, because the lines that divided all that he knew, tribe and non-tribe, animal and human, seemed to be blurring. He frowned. I don't understand how, but you are. I know you are. Whitefur stood up and winked at Flint. You do say some very strange things. He glanced at the stove. Now, Esker, how about that pine-needle tea? They talked long into the night, of Esker's parents and the times before the Ice Queen's rule, of the battle and the choir of stolen voices, and it was several hours later that they emerged from the hideaway onto the ledge behind the waterfall. White Fur bent down and picked up a bundle of long, thin objects. He handed them round. Skis and poles. I found them in a food store out on the Driftlands, and I brought a set for each of you. They have strappings for your boots, and you'll need to fix them fast, because up in the Nevercliffs you can't afford to put a foot wrong. 
He glanced at the eagle looking on from her nest. Does she have a name? Esker nodded. I call her Balapan. Whitefur smiled. Like Blackfina's song. Your mother had a beautiful voice, and many a night when we crossed paths I heard her sing to you round the campfire. Songs of orcas in the deep and eagles in the skies. Balapan, she used to call the king of the birds, an old Urkwaldian word for the wind, because she felt that only eagles and the gods really knew the power of the skies. And at those words, Eska's soul shook. A week ago, in the giant's beard, she had found her way back to a memory of her ma, and... Though the Ice Queen might have used dark magic to steal her past, it was clear that some things, like love, were stronger than even an Ice Queen's curse. I must go now, Whitefur said. Tusk guards are patrolling deep roots and I want to make sure the Fur Tribe stays safe. Flint smiled at the thought of Tomkin discovering that an Urkenbear wanderer, who was most definitely magical and therefore completely illegal in his brother's eyes, was keeping watch over deep roots. Whitefur looked from Esker to Flint to Blue. Good luck in your search for the Lost Chambers. And remember, you have the Wild on your side, and the Wild doesn't play by ordinary rules. The group watched as the old man slipped out onto the rocks lining the river, and as they peered through the gap beneath the tumbling waterfall, they saw him walk under the starlit night. But when he was past the rowan trees some way down the river, he stooped to all fours and his rhythm changed, from the measured gait of a man to the thundering power of a beast. Flint blinked. Ever since meeting Esker, his world had begun to shift, and while at first these changes of perspective had rocked him, now he was beginning to see that things weren't as black and white as he had thought. And as he turned back inside the hideaway, he understood a little better. Esker had a tribe after all, one made up of eagles and urchin bears, and day by day it was growing. Chapter 18. The Ice Queen. Meanwhile, in a frosted turret in Winterfang Palace, the Ice Queen sat on a throne built from walrus tusks. They jutted above her head and shoulders a fan of pointed ivory, and beside her sat a wolverine purring darkly. She let her fingers glide along the staff across her lap, then she raised her head to the other person in the room. You have done well, Slither. The shaman's face twisted into an ugly smile as he eyed the statue in the middle of the turret. It was a life-size model of a child, the eyes, nose, hair and limbs all chiselled out of glass, and though Esker was miles and miles away, to the Ice Queen and Slither, it felt as if she was standing right there on the floor in front of them. I believe the contraption is working as we wanted it to, Slither replied. There are signs on the glass to prove it. He pointed to the spidery lines spreading out from the hollow in the statue's throat, and the Ice Queen's blue lips quivered as she took them in. 
Then she stood up and stalked towards the statue, raking her staff across the frosty tiles. She held her crown of snowflakes high, then lifted the black key from the chain around her neck and slotted it into the hole in the statue's throat. Her eyes flickered towards Slither. The magic in this turret only works when I play the organ. It is fueled by my growing strength. So I shall play the organ in the evenings as well as the mornings from now on. She paced towards the window and looked out at the stars. Because we only have five days before the midnight sun rises. Slither's scalp tightened. We must be careful not to move too quickly. Magic used in haste often crumbles. Perhaps we could... The Ice Queen cut across him. I need Eska's voice drained from her body before she realises she can claim the Sky Song for her own. So, when you hear my choir sing, I want you to turn and turn and turn. She left the room, the wolverine by her side, and as the organ sounded a moment later and the prisoners' voices sailed into the night, Slither wound the key again and again, and more dark veins seeped across the statue, scarring it through with black. Chapter 19 Eska At dawn, they packed rucksacks full of food and flasks of water, and for a moment Eska felt sad that they were leaving the giant's beard, the place she and Balapan had come to call home. But then she remembered Whitefur's words. She had a par to rescue now, and the Sky Song to discover. The Ice Queen's choir had sung all through the previous night, and on into the early morning, and, though it had stopped now... The fact that the anthem had sounded for so much longer than usual made Esker and Flint exchange anxious glances. The Ice Queen's power was growing and Esker's voice was getting weaker still. She couldn't see how it would be strong enough to silence the tribes, command animals and shake the skies. She had tried to pick out the individual voices when they sang, desperate to recognise her pa's voice, but no recollection came and she sat behind the waterfall, her hand on Balapan's back. She could feel the bird's heartbeat, sure and steady, beneath her feathers, and somehow that made her feel stronger. Can you lead us to the lost chambers? She whispered, like you led me to the giant's beard. Balapan yapped and ruffled her feathers. Then she charged towards the waterfall, and Eska gasped as she shot through it and spiralled up into the air. Eska crossed the river to join Flint and Blue, and with their skis and poles strapped to their backs, they followed the eagle up into the ravine and then on through the gap in the hills which led out of the valley. The river snaked west, then ran towards the sea, but Balapan hurled her cry across the sky, beckoning them north, on into the heart of the Nevercliffs. At first the land climbed gently, but before long the hills built themselves up into jagged mountains, and though Pebble kept nibbling Flint's ear for food and Blue stumbled in the deeper snow, the group trudged on. After an hour, though, they collapsed on the top of a mountain and shared their water round. Oh, they go on and on, 
Esker panted as she looked out over the ridges that scored the horizon. Flint nodded. They're called the Never Peaks for a reason. Esker swallowed a mouthful of water. Do you think most people feel like this before a quest? Like what? Esker considered. Small. Silently, they watched the mountains, the slopes of ice, banks of scree and frozen waterfalls that hung like tapestries of frost. Then they listened to the rum of Balapan's wings above them. If you count us all together, Flint said eventually, you, me, Blue, Pebble and Balapan, we're not so small. Esker nodded. Sort of tribe-sized when you think of it like that. Blue picked up a handful of snow and smoothed it between her mittens. We go home see Tomkin now. I love my brothers. Flint sighed. No, Blue, I told you, remember? We won't see Tomkin until we've found the Frosthorn. He nudged her skis towards her. We need to get your skis on so that we can find a quicker trail through the mountains. Blue stared at the skis. Don't like them. Flint slotted her boot into the first binding. You need to let me put them on, Blue. We've got a job to do, remember? Blue narrowed her eyes, and then, to Esker's surprise, she threw her snowball in Flint's face. Not doing skis, she snapped. Don't like skis. Flint wiped the snow away. You love skiing, Blue. I've seen you zip through deep roots after me and Tomkin. Blue turned away. No! Flint lowered his voice. Now you're just being difficult. Esker could see Flint trying to cling on to his patience, but when Blue folded her arms and pouted, his anger spilled out. Fine, he muttered, flinging her poles into the snow and tightening his hood around Pebble. If you're going to play difficult out on the Nevercliffs, I'm going to play difficult too. And with that, he strapped his boots to his own skis, grabbed his poles and set off down the mountain at breakneck speed. Esker didn't know much about tribe behaviour. Perhaps flinging poles around and pouting was perfectly normal. But she knew from spending time with Balapan about loyalty. And so she crouched next to Blue. Her voice was quieter than Flint's, more scratched and far less sure of itself. You can hold my hand for the first bit, if you want, but you're probably going to be a lot better at this than me. Blue prodded the snow with her mittens. I good skier. Speedy, speedy, I like fast. Ask me, brother. But Flint was already shooting down the mountain, his skis slicing wide arcs in the powdery snow. Esker watched. He looked graceful, like a bird skimming the surface of a river, but also slightly furious in the way he jabbed his poles into each turn. Come on, Esker said. Let's go after him. Putting on the skis was easy enough, but as Esker poled her way towards the edge of the mountain with blue, she swallowed. She'd never skied before. There was no way she'd keep up with the others. Balapan yapped from above, and Esker knew what that noise meant. It was a call to move faster, to keep going. She lifted up her hood so that the fur was snug around her cheeks, and then, gripping Blue's mitten, they set off. Blue, it turned out, only needed to be held for a second. 
As soon as her skis picked up speed, she let go of Eska and sailed on down the mountain after her brother. She wasn't graceful like him, tucked into a wobbly crouch. She looked rather like a runaway cannonball. But she was getting down the mountain, which was more than could be said for Eska. She couldn't seem to find the nerve to point her skis downhill. Instead, she swerved across the side of the mountain with shaking knees, watching nervously as Flint pulled up on a ledge and Blue careered over a little bump, then clattered into him. They were hugging, poles and pouts evidently forgotten, and Balapan yapped again. The eagle was getting impatient now, and so, drawing in a deep breath, Eska tilted her skis down the hill. Her eyes streamed, her legs wobbled, and for a few seconds Eska forgot to breathe. Then her calves grew sturdier and her thighs tightened as she felt her way into the snow. Moments later, she was leaning into the slope, shifting her weight from one leg to the other as she carved her mark into the mountain. She grinned. This was something she had done before. The pace, the balance, the thrill of winding deeper into the wild... Some patterns of behaviour, it seemed, couldn't be unlearnt. And as she swished through the snow, a memory burned in her mind. She was smaller than she was now, much smaller, and she was making her way down a snowy mountain, her little skis framed by two larger ones that belonged to the man holding her up from behind. She could feel the softness of his wolf furs. She could hear the sound of his deep voice urging her on. She could smell the warmth of campfires and pine needles on his breath. And she knew without a shadow of a doubt that this was her pa. He had taught her how to ski. The memory vanished, and Eska pulled up in front of Flint and Blue, showering them both with a spray of snow. Blue grinned. You good, Eska. Better than Flint. Flint pulled Blue's hood down over her eyes at that. Then he turned to Eska. You did well. Eska blushed. This is something I've done before with my pa. I can feel it. I wasn't talking about the skiing. Flint glanced at Blue, who was feeding Pebble a clump of snow. Then he undid the straps of his skis and hoisted them onto his back. Though you're not bad at that either. He looked at his sister again. It gets hard sometimes. Eska nodded. I know. Especially since Ma and Pa left and Tompkin became chief. Most of the time it's just me and her. Not that I'm complaining, it's just hard sometimes. Eska swung her skis onto her back. You'd make a good eagle, you know. Flint laughed. Why's that? Because you're protective and patient. Flint chewed his lip. Some of the time. They traipsed up the next mountain, and Eska wondered as she glimpsed Balapan disappear inside a cloud and then burst out the other side, how much longer they'd have to go before they saw signs of a tribe hiding among the cliffs. They shared out some of the food Eska had cooked the night before, then they made their way on and on through the mountains into the endless spring light, until eventually a late dusk fell and they came to a lake covered in black ice. Like a stain of ink, it squatted before the surrounding peaks, blocking the way ahead. 
There was no sparkle, no glint, no reflection of evening clouds on the ice, just a cold, dark mass of black. And at the sight of it, Pebble growled. Devil's dance floor, Flint murmured. Pa used to tell us stories about it. He said it was one of the deepest lakes in all Erkenwald, and that the reason it's black is because years ago the Feather Tribe grew frightened of the storms that raged through the Nevercliffs, so they trapped the largest of the thunderclouds down inside the ice. He paused. It's just a story, though. Esker watched Balapan soar above the lake. We've got to cross it, haven't we? Your eagle seems to think so. Flint squinted, and I can just make out a narrow path on the other side, winding on through the mountains. Esker bent down to unstrap her skis. If it's black ice covering the lake, it'll be frozen solid, so it'll hold us, right? Flint unfastened Blue's skis. Absolutely. But as they approached the shoreline, nobody said a word. Not even Blue, who watched the devil's dance floor with narrowed eyes. Cautiously, they placed their boots on the ice, and Esker waited for its creak and groan. But this was a slice of the wild that didn't talk. It lay silently beneath them, and as they walked out onto it, the sealskin soles of their boots stopping them from slipping, they looked left and right and sometimes over their shoulders. Because, although none of them said it, each felt that perhaps someone or something was watching them. It was only when they were in the middle of the devil's dance floor that the noises started. At first it was the drawn-out moan of ice, and it made the group bunch closer and rise up onto their tiptoes. But then another sound came, a restless rumbling from beneath the ice that spoke of thunder gathering many miles away. Esker's insides clenched. Go quietly, she whispered to Blue and Flint, and keep your eyes fixed on Balapan. For a few seconds, Flint and Blue did just that. Then the rumbles grew like an enormous engine throbbing into life. Eska noticed Flint's hold on Blue's hand tighten, and she looked down. The lake was no longer a block of impenetrable black. It was mirror clear, and beneath its frozen surface, things were moving. Long, thin arms that seemed to be made from trails of smoke reached up towards the ice and beat their fists against it. Esker felt her legs sway. There were faces below the arms, masks of grey with gaping mouths, and they were calling with hungry voices. The Ice Queen came and cast her curse on thunder ghosts and much, much worse. Come dance with spectres locked in ice. Your whispers, though, won't quite suffice. One word out loud is all we need to drag you down and fill our greed. Esker gulped. So the stories Flint's pa had told him were true. The Feather Tribe had locked a thundercloud inside the lake, but now the Ice Queen had manipulated it to do her bidding. Esker kept her voice low as she turned to Flint and Blue. Whatever you do, don't raise your voices above a whisper. She put a finger to her lips to check that Blue had understood, and when the little girl nodded, the group kept walking. But when two large fists pummeled at the ice between her boots, Blue couldn't stop her fear spilling out. 
I scared Flint, she cried. Scared! What happened next happened fast. The ice beneath Blue's feet fell away in one swift slice, and she shot down into the lake. Where she had been standing, the surface closed up to form a shield of solid ice, and then it was not only the fists of the thunder ghosts beating below. Blue's small hands raged against the ice, while wisps of grey swirled around her. Chapter 20 Flint Flint fell to his knees, pounding his knuckles against the ice, and beside him, Pebble raked his claws over the surface again and again, but the ice didn't shift. It remained locked over Blue like a depthless seal, and all around her the thunder ghosts twirled. They were dancing now, their voices delighted cackles, as Blue's eyes clouded with terror. No, gasped Flint, not this, not this! He threw back his head as a wail full of love and loss and anger rose in his throat, but in the nick of time, Esker clapped a hand over his mouth and looked into his eyes. Don't cry out, she whispered. Don't let the thunder ghost take you too. Think, Flint, think. What do you have in your rucksack that could help Blue? Hardly hearing, Flint laid his palms onto the ice over his sister's hammering fists. He'd put Blue in danger because he had wanted to prove to his brother that he could set things right and find their ma. The shame and longing beat inside him and tears streamed down his cheeks. I can't lose her too, he whispered. I can't. Balapan landed by his side and began pecking at Flint's rucksack, desperately trying to wrench it open. You won't lose her because you're a thinker. Esker urged Flint, a problem solver. Now think your way out of this. Flint shook his head. Most of my inventions don't even work, he whispered. Tomkin's right. He's always been right. I can't control magic. I can't even keep my little sister safe. I'm useless. Esker thrust the rucksack into Flint's lap. Tomkin doesn't know what you can do. He didn't see how the camouflage cape helped us escape from Winterfang. Blue slammed her fists against the ice, and the thunder ghosts let out a rumbling laugh. Help your sister, Esker murmured. I know you can. And so, with shaking hands, Flint tipped the objects from his rucksack. The camouflage cape spilled over his lap, but he brushed it aside. His anything knife clattered against the ice, but he ignored that too, and it was only when he held up a small glass bottle filled with golden liquid that he stopped searching. Maybe this he whispered. Bottled sunlight mixed with firefly glow. It's hotter than fire if mixed right. Still trembling, he poured it over the ice above Blue. At first, the pool of golden liquid simply lay on the ice, and Flint's tears rolled faster. Then, the invention began to bubble and hiss, and a second later, it burned through the ice to reveal a thrash of limbs below. Blue! Flint gasped. There was a clamour of thunder and more scrabbling limbs. Then Flint and Esker hauled Blue out of the lake and the black ice folded over the hole, sealing the thunder ghosts back where they belonged. Flint held Blue close. I'm so sorry, he sobbed. I'm so sorry. I never should have let you leave Deep Roots. Blue clung to her brother's waist, gasping the air back in. I love you, Flint, she panted. I love you more. I stay with you. 
Flint squeezed her tight, right close to his heart. Then after a while, he wiped the tears from his face and looked up at Esker. Sorry, he whispered. I didn't expect all that to come out. He blushed and looked away. Tomkin says crying is a sign of weakness. Esker raised an eyebrow. Tomkin also says you're not an inventor, and look at what you did just then. You rescued your sister from Thunderghosts, despite how terrified you were. She paused. So really, tears are just a warm-up for courage. Flint looked down, trying to ignore the Thunderghosts moaning beneath the ice. I'm not sure I'm going to make a very good warrior, though. Too much. He looked at Blue, searching for the right word. Gentleness. I don't think you have to fight with weapons to be a warrior, Esker whispered. You could fight with love and tears and inventions instead. That would probably be just as good. She thought of the way Balapan was, fierce and tough and definitely wild. But there was a gentleness there too, even if it wasn't easy to spot at first. Esker stood up. I think gentleness is a mighty word, because you have to be strong of heart to be kind. And Flint smiled then, because although Esker's voice didn't sound like much, she often found the words that mattered. The group hurried over the devil's dance floor, only too glad to leave the thunder ghosts behind. But as they stepped out onto the snowy path through the mountains ahead, Flint cast a worried look at his sister. She was shivering badly, and the light was fading fast. We have to find shelter and a place to rest for the night, Flint said. Blue needs dry clothes, a fire and warm food. He scoured the banks of snow either side of him. The grizzlies hibernate in the Nevercliffs, so if we can find a bear cave, we can bed down there. With the bears? Esker shifted. Or will they have finished hibernating? Flint rolled his eyes. It'll just be us. Now come on before we lose the light completely. It took them an hour to find a bear cave in the end, and it was Esker who spotted the opening between a cluster of trees on the mountainside. They helped Blue inside the rocky den, and while Pebble snuggled close to her, Flint lost no time in gathering kindling for a fire and branches for bedding, and Esker prepared the remaining ptarmigan. Before long, they had a fire flickering and the colour returned to Blue's cheeks. And though the Ice Queen's anthem rolled out again that night, even louder than before, and Esker's voice was ebbing away, Flint refused to be afraid because their strange little tribe was together still, and they had a plan. And through the short night, he knew that Balapan would keep guard. They left the cave early the next day, with the notes of the Ice Queen's anthem ringing in their ears, and journeyed on through the Nevercliffs under a sunless sky, hiking slopes so steep they bent into a crawl, traversing ridges so narrow they hardly dared breathe, and skiing through valleys so vast and white it was almost impossible to tell which way was up or down against the clouds. Flint paused, panting, before the summit of yet another mountain. I can see how the Ice Queen never found the Feather Tribe. Esker and Blue pulled up beside him. We'll find them, Esker said. Then she nodded to Balapan, wheeling above them. Remember, the Ice Queen didn't have the wild on her side. Blue pointed to the snowy overhang a few steps further up the mountain. It was lined with enormous icicles that hung down in turquoise fangs. 
like them. Horrid, Blue said, shrinking inside her furs. Flint looked at the row of ice daggers and shuddered. Something about them did feel oddly sinister. Let's keep going until we get over the top of this mountain. Then we'll strap on our skis, find a safe spot for food, and... His words were cut short as one of the icicles dropped into the snow at his feet. It stuck in the snow like a lance. Flint shook himself. Skis on now. Let's get some speed around the side of this mountain. Blue frowned. You said top of hill for skis. Flint eyed the fringe of icicles. Not anymore. Something doesn't feel quite right about this slope. Another shard of ice fell from the overhang, and from Flint's hood, Pebble whimpered. And then more and more followed, until the entire row of icicles was raining down like a flurry of spears. A barrier of crisscrossed ice lay before them, and up in the sky, Balapan screeched. Flint's flesh crawled. This was a mountain bidden to obey the Ice Queen, and they were right in the midst of it. Yanking Blue's boots into their bindings, Flint tried to ignore the strange clicking, clattering sound coming from below the overhang. But when Esker looked up and gasped, he couldn't ignore it any more, and he watched, pulse thrashing, as the shards of ice gathered themselves up into a figure the size of a very tall tree. Its body glittered, its fingers were long, sharp slices of ice, and all around its gaunt head barbs of frosted hair jutted. But it was the mouth that made Flint tremble, a dark cave strung with glinting icicles. The figure blew out, a deep, heaving breath, as if waking from a long slumber, and his ice teeth rattled. He's... he's real, Flint stammered. Esker recoiled. Who is... Flint tightened his hood round Pebble, grabbed Blue's hands and pushed with his poles. Needle spin, he yelled. The ghoul that haunts the Nevercliffs. Chapter 21. Esker. Jamming her poles into the snow, Esker led the way round the side of the mountain. Ski! Fast! she cried. Down they went, undoing hours of hard climbing, but that didn't matter now because Needlespin was scuttling closer, wielding a silver-spiked ball and chain, and though Balapan dived at him again and again, he barged her out of the way and stormed on. Visitors! he cackled, running away so soon. His voice was full of spiked edges, and at the end of every sentence, the words snapped off like broken ice. Esker turned panicked eyes to Flint. Keep going, she shouted, keep going. But Needlespin was gaining on them, closing the children in between two mountains. Esker scanned the slopes for a crossing point until her eyes rested on a fallen boulder covered in snow that was wedged between the mountains. She took in the vast drop below it, several hundred metres at least. Then she found herself pointing towards the boulder with her ski pole. It was the only way. Across there, she bellowed, nipping from the mountainside onto the boulder. Blue followed with Flint close behind. You think I won't leave my mountain? Needlespin screeched, and he leapt over the gap between the slopes as if he was jumping over a puddle. He landed in a crouch, and his icicled limbs creaked. 
Then he looked up, his teeth jangling. Not when I've been given orders by the Ice Queen to hold you here. Eska's mind whirled as they skied on down the next mountain. She thought about the inventions stashed inside Flint's rucksack and the quiver on her own back, but there was no time to reach for anything like that because Needlespin was now swinging the ball and chain above his head. Ice! he shrieked, thumping the spiked ball down into the snow. More ice! And Blue, Flint and Eska screamed because beneath their skis they felt the mountain harden into a slope of bruised ice. Their skis lost grip, their poles clattered against the surface, and like three runaway marbles, they shot down the mountain. Balapan plummeted too, but she was thinking faster, seeing faster, bending the wind to suit her own purpose, and missing the treetops and jutting overhangs by the slightest turn of her feathers. The eagle called out above a lip of ice. Eska summoned up her voice until it was as loud as she could make it, Point your skis towards Balapan. That's a jump, Flint screamed. We'll soar for miles. Blue won't manage the landing. But Eska was tilting her skis towards the eagle now, towards the mound of glittering ice scooping up to the next mountain, and with no better ideas, Flint snatched Blue's hand and steered his little sister after Eska. Pebble's eyes grew large as they neared the lip, and close on their heels, Needlespin sniggered. You can't outrun me, children. Wherever you go, I'll find you. His words echoed through the Nevercliffs, but Esker, Flint and Blue careered on, and then, one, two, three, they were soaring off the ice lip, climbing the height of the mountain opposite in the air. They landed with a poof in powder snow, a tangle of skis, poles and limbs before a cluster of trees dripping with icicles. Flint twisted round to face Blue, are you okay? Blue's bottom lip was wobbling. I scared Flint, scared. Esker glanced round. I think we've lost Needlespin. Maybe he could only cross those first few mountains. Pebble scrambled out of Flint's coat and peered closer at a tree behind them. He took a few steps forward and the silence throbbed. Then, as Balapan veered towards them, Esker spotted a movement within the trees. A silver-blue eye flicked open between the branches, an icicled claw curled round a trunk, and then, as Pebble clattered back towards Flint, Needlespin burst out from behind a tree. Did you miss me? the monster spat. He lumbered towards them, and the group scrambled to their feet and launched their skis down the mountain. But they could hear Needlespin's ball and chain whirring in circles, and as it spun above him, a torrent of icicles shot out from the silver spikes, narrowly missing the children's furs. Ice spears? Blue cried. Flint clutched her hand for a moment. Keep going, just keep going. But Esker had learnt to listen when the panic crowded in, to eagles, to the wild, and to the quiet beat of her heart. White fur. It was saying, remember what Whitefur said to you back in the giant's beard. And as she darted between trees and swerved round humps and dips in the snow, she thought of her hideaway behind the waterfall and how a man who might or might not have been an Urkenbear had filled it with diamond dust. Whitefur, she whispered, Whitefur. Flint shot her a glance as he stooped beneath a branch. What? Whitefur! 
Eska said again as one of Needlespin's icicles whizzed past her ear. At the time when you need help most, say my name. That's what Whitefur said. And as Needlespin roared behind them, his teeth jangling like hollow bones, Flint and Eska shouted Whitefur's name. Again and again they bellowed it, and at first Needlespin simply laughed and hurled out another batch of icicles. Then a curious thing happened. Tiny flecks of shimmering silver puffed out into the air around Flint and Esker, and no matter how many times Needlespin pitched his weapons, he couldn't hit the boy or the girl. The icicles simply bounced off the shell of sparkling snow and clattered to the ground. Whitefur's diamond dust, Esker breathed. It's protecting us. Then she watched, aghast, as Needlespin charged down the mountain behind them and tossed a spear at Blue. It struck her on the elbow and she cried out in pain. Flint swerved towards her, taking a little of her weight. Say Whitefur's name, Blue. It will help you. Blue leant into her brother's side as they skied. Don't understand. Don't understand. Yes, you do, Blue. You do. Trust me. Say Whitefur's name. White... Whitefur, she stammered. Yes, Blue. Again, louder this time. Blue flung the Erkenbear's name out into the Nevercliffs as Needlespin's spear careered towards her. Whitefur! 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 The icicle crashed to the ground and all around her the diamond dust danced. Blue, Flint and Esker flew on down the mountain, shooting off bumps and veering round trees. Now what? Flint shouted to Esker. Follow Balapan! And though Needlespin scuttled over the snow towards them, flinging his ball and chain against the trees, they followed the eagle until it circled a cliff edge with a terrifying drop beneath. Flint turned to Esker as they raced towards it. No, he breathed. Balapan plummeted down and then tucked her wings in just before she hit the snow. She soared up into the sky again, and with one eye on the snow and one eye on her eagle, Eska tried to understand what Balapan was saying. Pull up at the last minute, she panted, tucking into a ball to quicken her pace, and grab whatever you can to stop yourself from falling. Trust me. Behind them, Needlespin's voice hacked through the air. Over you go, splinter splat. You'll be easier to guard with broken bones. Esker, Flint and Blue were level now, and as they sailed towards the cliff edge with Needlespin just metres behind, they yanked their weight sideways, slipped off the edge and then clung to the tops of the trees immediately beneath. Needlespin charged over the lip, his arms wide, ready to crush the children in his icy grasp. But they were nowhere to be seen. And as the monster leapt into the air, he realised his stride had been too big, too greedy, because he'd overshot his prey and the trees they clung to, and far, far below, snaking through the cliffs, was the one thing that could break him. Black ice. The frozen river loomed like a shadow, and Needlespin picked up more and more speed as he hurtled towards it, limbs flailing. Then there was an almighty crash as he hit the ice and Esker, Flint and Blue, clutching at the branches of the trees beneath the ledge, watched the broken pieces of Needlespin's body rattle across the river. Chapter 22 Flint
An eerie silence followed, and for a while all Flint, Esker and Blue could do was stare at the river below them. Then the diamond dust slipped away through the trees, and Flint put an arm around Blue's shoulders. That was close, he panted. I think mentioning Needlespin before we set off from the giant's beard would have been helpful, Esker replied. Flint glanced at Blue. I didn't want to scare her. Blue looked down through the branches and wailed. Esker rolled her eyes. Because finding out this way was so much better. Flint turned to Blue and hauled her onto a sturdier branch. Then he looked at Esker. You and Balapan saved us back there. We'd never have survived all that without you. Esker grinned, then she looked around. Maybe don't tell Tomkin we got Blue jammed into the top of a very high tree. Blue pulled at a branch. We tell Ma. Flint laughed. Let's kick these skis off and climb down. Balapan was waiting on a rock at the foot of the trees, and as they clambered through the lower branches, Flint watched as she swooped to Esker's shoulder and leant against the girl's cheek. Esker stretched up a hand and ran it over the eagle's wing, and Blue shuffled through the snow towards the eagle. Want to hug Bala? It was the name Blue had started using for the eagle, and neither Esker nor Flint had corrected her. I'm... Not sure eagles are very good at hugging, Esker said softly. Animals are a bit different from humans. Blue tilted her head. Animals hug, just not with arms. And as she raised her little hand towards Balapan, the eagle loosened her wing and brushed it against Blue's palm. There, hug, see? Flint ruffled her hair. I'm proud of you, Blue. You were brave just now, really brave. They shared out some mountain cranberries and water. Then they strapped on their skis and looked down at the river winding on through the Nevercliffs. A cluster of tundra swans were feeding on algae where the afternoon sun had thawed the ice. But other than that, the landscape was absolutely still. And just as Flint was about to suggest they get going, Esker gasped. The river, she said quietly, before the mountains close it in, there are lots of little tributaries branching off from it. And, well, if you squint hard enough, the river almost looks like a giant feather. Flint peered at the scene below and his eyes widened. You're right. Feather tribe close, Blue said. Flint thought about it. I once heard that the Tusk tribe used to stand on the cliff tops to the north of the kingdom, then look down at the icebergs and read messages in their shapes. He paused. Maybe the Feather tribe use landmarks as signs too. Blue's right, I think they are close. The three of them skied quickly down the mountain, and rather than crossing the frozen river... The episode with the Thunder Ghosts was still fresh in everyone's minds, and Needlespin's remains lay scattered across it. They hastened along beside it, following its curve and jumping over the tributaries which snaked out into the mountains. They glanced around, eagerly searching for any signs of civilization, while Balapan flew overhead. And when Pebble realised that Needlespin was no longer a threat, he leapt down from Flint's hood and joined in the hunt.
The fox pup bounded ahead, sniffing at the snow and padding carefully across the tributaries. But when the mountain closed in again and just the main river ran on through a narrow gully, Pebble started barking. Shh, Pebble, Flint hissed. We can't afford to draw attention to ourselves. But still the fox pup barked and Flint noticed then that he was pawing at the snow on the mountainside to their right. Esker frowned. What is it? she whispered. What has he found? I think he's caught a scent and wants us to follow it. Flint hurried closer to Pebble and noticed a shelf of rock hanging out above the path, a few metres above the fox pup. In a swish of feathers, Balapan landed on it. Then she stayed very still. Something about this mountain is important, Esker said slowly. Both Pebble and Balapan know it. She took a step beneath the ledge and her eyes widened. Look at this. Strung from the tip of the ledge right down to the base of the mountain was a giant spider web laced in ice. It hung in delicate spirals, each loop coated in dashes of frost as thin as silver eyelashes, and Flint knew as he gazed upon it that magic was involved. Then he saw how. The centre of the web was a cluster of ice, and on it sat a spider. It was the size of a fist and as clear as glass. An ice spider, Flint murmured. They usually spin ice, unless it's a clear night. Then they spin moonlight. He paused. It's beautiful, but how is it going to help us? They watched quietly as the spider left the middle of its web. Then Flint understood. The web was not complete. The spider was spinning still, and the gossamer it spun did not fill the spaces left with ordinary loops. Words were appearing, silver words that shone in the twilight. It's... it's trying to tell us something, Esker breathed. No one dared speak until the spider had stopped, and two words glistened in the web. Chin down. Flint turned to Esker. Chin down? I don't understand. He threw his hands up. We've only got three days to stop the Ice Queen and we're faced with an ice spider spinning nonsense. We need to find the Feather Tribe. Chin up, Esker said. I heard you say that to Blue when you were trying to encourage her to keep going through the Nevercliffs this morning. Flint turned away from the web and looked on down the path through the mountains. Yeah, well, this spider got it wrong then because it's saying chin down, which makes no sense at all. He grabbed Blue by the hand, but to his surprise, he found her reluctant to move on. Come on, Blue, we've no time for this. But his sister didn't move. She kept her head down and her eyes fixed on the base of the mountain. Chin down, she said. Put chin down, Flint. Look. Flint tucked his chin into his chest and followed Blue's gaze. Then he saw what she was looking at something they would have missed completely had Blue not listened to the spider's instructions. There, nestled into the base of the mountain, was a very faint dome-shaped crack in the snow, as if perhaps someone had opened a way into the rock not so long ago. Flint and Esker brushed the snow away until they found what they had been looking for, a door carved into the cliff face with a small skull acting as a handle. 
bird skull, Flint breathed. Snowy owl, it looks like. And then his face broke into a grin. The snowy owl is the symbol of the feather tribe. I think we found the way into the lost chambers. They turned to see the spider drop to the ground. Then it scuttled down the path on into the mountains. But as it went, they noticed it didn't leave a trail of thread or tiny pricks where its feet marked the snow. It left footprints, human footprints. And as Flint looked at them, he remembered Whitefur's words. Good luck in your search for the lost chambers. And remember you have the wild on your side, and the wild doesn't play by ordinary rules. That was a wanderer, wasn't it? he whispered to Esker, like how Whitefur was an Urken bear, but also a man. That spider, it was... I don't know what it was, but it was one of your kind, I'm sure of it. Esker's eyes were wide. Do you think one day I'll learn how to shapeshift into wild creatures? Flint smiled. Wouldn't put it past you. He looked at his little sister. You were right to trust that spider, Blue, to wait until you understood what it was saying. Blue nodded. Clever. And though Flint was used to waiting for Blue, used to her dawdling behind and not understanding, this time she took his hand and, shivering, led him into the mountain. Esker followed with Balapan on her shoulder. They were in a passageway large enough to stand in, and balanced on the rocky ledges either side of them were halved eggshells of every colour imaginable, speckled green, turquoise, mottled purple, gold, and inside each one a candle flickered. Flint pulled the door shut behind them, then his eyes travelled over the eggshells as they walked on. Peregrine, pintail, lesser snow goose, red-winged sparrow, mountain bluebird, this is the feather tribe all right, only they would know where to find the eggs of birds like these. And then he gulped as he remembered the reception his tribe had given Esker. He slid a glance at his friend, who was looking equally nervous. Just leave the conversations to me, he said. Esker nodded. Then she laid her hand on Balapan's talons, and Flint thought it looked a little like the bird and the girl were walking hand in hand. Pebble hurried ahead, but after a few minutes he stopped and cocked his head to one side because blocking the way ahead was a large bird with a long scooped neck and a fan of white feathers that filled the entire tunnel. It looked like a peacock, and yet its colouring was different. This bird was as white as freshly fallen snow. Flint blinked in disbelief. That's a moonflit. Esker gulped. Is that good or bad? I didn't come across them in my training with Balapan. Flint rubbed his eyes. Neither. It's just unlikely. Impossible, even. These birds have been extinct for centuries. Esker peered closer. Look at its feathers. Each one has a circular pattern on it. Flint nodded. Eyes, our ancestors used to say, because moonflits can see beyond ordinary things, into hearts and minds and... Blue squealed as the white markings flicked a fraction to reveal hundreds of grey, staring eyes. I don't know how the Feather Tribe got hold of this creature, but I think it's acting as a guard, Flint whispered. I think if the moonflit lets us past, it means it trusts us. 
Very slowly, the feathered eyes opened and closed, and then the bird lowered its tail feathers into a sweep of white and backed into the shadows so that the group could see what lay beyond. Darkness. A space so black, there was no difference between blinking and keeping your eyes wide open. Flint lifted Pebble into his hood. Then, holding Blue's hand still, he shuffled forward. Esker tiptoed after them. Is it a dead end? Blue moaned. I want home, Flint. Tired, cold. Flint squinted into the black, but just as he was about to speak, there was a creak and then a click behind them, and he knew immediately what had just happened. A door in the dark had been closed. They had walked straight into a trap. Chapter 23 Esker Esker felt Balapan leap from her shoulder, but as she reached out with scrabbling hands, they met with wooden bars ahead, around, and behind. Esker gulped. They were locked inside a cage. She swung her skis down to grab her bow and heard Flint unsheath his anything knife. Then a voice in the dark spoke. Who are you? It was a boy who sounded only a little older than Esker and Flint. Two, two of us are fur tribe, Flint stammered, and then he paused and added hopefully, fur tribe warriors and need fire, Blue whimpered, cold toes. Another voice slithered out of nowhere. A girl this time, and her tone was frostier than the boys. They don't sound like warriors to me. I vote we let our arrows fly. I'm a wanderer, Esker said, Wolftooth's daughter. He came to you before the battle at Winterfang. Her words were met with a deathly hush. Then the girl's voice came again, and each word was coated in hate. You're not welcome here. Your father is the reason ours are gone. If he hadn't come and stirred up ideas of fighting the Ice Queen, maybe ours wouldn't have left the Nevercliffs. She paused. You're the reason we lost our tribe. The boys spoke again. Easy, Rook. Remember the moonflit. It let them pass. But there were murmurings now, dozens of voices clamouring in the dark. Get her out! She's got no right to be here! Esker's ears churned with the all-too-familiar sounds of a tribe turned against her, and she felt the hopes she'd harboured on her journey through the Nevercliffs sift slowly away. And then Rook's voice came, cool but loaded. We should kill her. Esker's pulse skittered, and the voices grew into a knot of angry hisses. How dare she show her face? Our parents are gone because of her. She is probably working for the Ice Queen now. Esker shrank inside her furs, and from Flint's feet, Pebble whimpered. Was it to be like this everywhere she went? Walls of loathing that she couldn't break down. The voices rose louder still, the threats grew darker, and Balapan leapt back onto her shoulder. Esker felt the eagle's talons dig down to her bones, then Balapan cried out, a sharp screech that echoed through the mountain. The voices fell silent. Lights! the boy in the darkness commanded. Bring up the lights! 
A scraping sound followed of metal striking stone. Then, one by one, lamps emerged on rocky ledges until finally a giant atrium came into view. Enormous dreamcatchers studded with quartz and strung with snowy owl feathers dangled from the roof while the cavern floor was scattered with loose feathers. Red ones striped with black, white ones dashed grey, large black ones, oval downy ones and small electric blues. And there were branches too, fashioned into chairs and tables in among the feathers. It was like a giant nest. But even more extraordinary were the feather tribe themselves. The cavern walls were full of scoops and bulges, and inside every one was a large wooden birdcage, like the one Eska and her friends were trapped in. But the doors to these other cages were open. Crouched within were boys and girls, all with black hair and dark skin, and clad in wolf furs with colourful feathers splayed out in a fan over their shoulders and chests. They were armed, each with an arrow poised on a bow, and every single one was pointing at Eska and her friends. You have a golden eagle. It was the boy they'd heard speak first, and he was standing in the biggest of the bird cages, one tucked into the middle of the far wall. He climbed down the ledges, his electric blue shoulder feathers glimmering in the candlelight, before striding across the cavern floor. He stood before his prisoners, but his face was softer than Eska expected it to be. We only want to ask about the frost horn, she said quietly. Flint nodded. We don't mean any trouble. I had a dream that you would come, the boy said, a girl with a golden eagle asking about the songs we sing of the long-forgotten frost horn. Eska lowered her bow, and with Balapan still perched on her shoulder, she gripped the bars of the cage. Yes, she breathed, your songs, that's why we've come. She glanced down at Blue, and to find proper shelter for our friend. She fell in the lake, and the thunder ghosts nearly drowned her. There was a snort from behind the boy, as a girl with narrow eyes and a fan of black feathers over her upper body slunk forward. Lies, Jay. Don't listen to her. No one could outwit the Thunder Ghosts now that the Ice Queen has them in her power. She paused. And there's something strange about her voice. I don't like it. Esker recognised the girl as the one who had spoken with such malice a moment ago, and she knew she had a choice. Back down, as she had done in the labyrinth, or stand up and try being brave. It's not lies, she said shakily. Flint rescued Blue from the lake with one of his inventions. The boy, Jay, frowned. Inventions? Flint blushed and then mumbled something into his chest, but Esker pressed on. Yes, when he said he was a warrior earlier, he meant to say that he's an inventor. Her voice was rough and gravelly thanks to the Ice Queen's magic, but she gathered up her words nonetheless. One of the best that Erkenwald has ever seen. Flint slid a glance to Esker. You really are terrible at conversations. But Jay didn't wrinkle his nose or scoff at Esker's words. He just nodded. Then he looked at the girl beside him. There is something different about her voice, but I'm not sure it's something we should fear. He paused. And we could do with an inventor in times as dark as these. What do you think, Rook? 
Rook circled the cage, her dark eyes never leaving Esker's. Then she shrugged. Suit yourself. But you know what I think of your visions. Just because you dreamed of a moonflit protecting us and one turned up to show us the entrance to the lost chambers doesn't mean that we should let an inventor, a wanderer and... She looked down her nose at Blue. A snivelling little nobody into our tribe. Especially when they go banging on about the Frosthorn, which we all know doesn't exist. Flint raised his chin at Rook, his eyes hard, and Esker could feel the anger on Blue's behalf boiling inside him. She reached out a hand and held his arm. Not now, Flint. We need their help. Rook's words dripped on. They'll weaken the Feather Tribe, Jay. Mark my words. She sloped off into the shadows, and Jay turned back to his prisoners. The Moonflit trusted you earlier, and that's enough for me, whatever Rook says. But before I tell you anything about us, I need to know how you found the Lost Chambers when even the Ice Queen and her guards failed to. He paused. Prove that you're against the Ice Queen and her dark magic. And so Flint and Esker told Jay of their escape from Winterfang, of the sleigh chase through deep roots, of White Fur's words about the Sky Song and the Frost Horn, and finally about the ice spider who had helped them find the lost chambers. Jay nodded when Esker and Flint finished speaking. You're a true wanderer, Esker. Your bond with the Golden Eagle proves it, and I can sense the power in your voice, despite what the Ice Queen is doing to it. Balapan's talons squeezed Esker's shoulder gently, and she felt a quiet sense of pride. My parents are the chief and chieftainess of the Feather Tribe. Jay said, and though they're locked up in Winterfang, they told me to listen to my dreams, the gift every chief of the Feather Tribe is blessed with, and I am listening to them now. He lowered his voice and looked straight at Esker. I want to help you. And those last five words cradled Esker in warmth, because there was an opening now, a little space in this tribe for Esker and her friends. Jay took a key from his pocket and turned it in the birdcage lock. The door creaked open, and Esker, Flint, Pebble, Blue and Balapan stepped out into the atrium. But from the shadows of an alcove, Rook narrowed her eyes and turned a sharp white fang over in her hands. It was the one she had stepped on a few weeks ago while out in the open, the one that had caused her foot to turn black before she pulled it out, and the one that belonged, undoubtedly, to a cursed wolverine. And only one person had the power to hex wolverines. Chapter 24 Flint Jay glanced at Blue, then cupped his hands round his mouth. Pippet, he called. Take Blue here to the hot springs. She needs a warm bath. Blue clung to Flint. You come too, my brother. Bath. Flint ushered Blue towards Pippet, a little boy with dreadlocks and green spotted shoulder feathers. I need to talk with Jay. Go along now, Blue. But Blue shook her head. With you, Big Brother and Pebble. For a moment, Flint ground his teeth. Then he remembered Blue's face beneath the devil's dance floor and how far she had come from all that she knew and loved. And he saw what was really important. 
I won't be long, he said to Esker and Jay, and as he walked hand in hand with his little sister after Pippet, he couldn't help feeling that something about Jay was oddly familiar. He racked his brains as he crossed the cavern, but his thoughts were broken by a voice from the shadows. Strange kind of warriors, Rook muttered. Flint tensed as he heard the words, but he kept on walking, out of the main atrium and along another tunnel that widened into a very different chamber. It was smaller than the first, and when Flint saw that it was filled with a dozen bubbling hot springs jutting out from the rocks, he forgot his anger. He grinned at Blue, and moments later they were submerged in the steaming water. Even Pebble found himself kicking about in a smaller pool, and Flint wondered then at all the things he'd seen since meeting Esker. It had been a detour worth following, after all. They dried themselves with feathered blankets, then slipped back into their furs and returned to the main chamber, where the tribe were sitting round a long table piled with food. Balapan watched from a ledge up among the dreamcatchers, only shifting her gaze to snatch at the mice she found scuttling through the cavern, while Flint and Blue took a seat next to Esker, up by Jay at the head of the table. The feather tribe ate quietly, now and again stealing glances at the newcomers and sharing thoughts in guarded whispers. Jay swallowed a mouthful of food. We plan to hide here for as long as it takes for the Ice Queen's rule to crumble. We're quick-moving and we're quiet. We can stay one step ahead of her and the Tusk Guards in the Lost Chambers. Esker fiddled with her fork. The Ice Queen's rule isn't just going to crumble if she fails in her plans. Not without me finding this Frosthorn and claiming the Sky Song. Because when the midnight sun rises, she and all her prisoners at Winterfang will perish. Jay's face paled and Esker went on. Staying hidden isn't an option, and when I blow the horn, I'm going to need help. I'm going to need your tribe to stand alongside me, to fight when the time comes. Flint winced. Esker had gone straight in and now there was no turning back. The battle at Winterfang was lost because our parents didn't really know what they were up against, Flint said quietly. They tried to fight an ice queen with spears and bows, but that's not enough. We need to call upon... He lowered his voice. Magic, this time. Upon the frost horn, the sky song, your dreams, and Flint's inventions, Esker said firmly. Flint cringed into his furs. They hadn't even reached the main course, and he and Esker were already talking about magic and inventions. But before Jay could reply to any of this, another voice answered from the end of the table. Rook. She flung her bowl aside and stood up, her eyes scanning the rest of her tribe. That wanderer there wants us to stand alongside her and fight with magic, the very thing that tore this kingdom apart. She thinks that with the help of our songs she'll find the forgotten Frosthorn and use it to defeat the Ice Queen. Rook gestured around the cavern. She wants us to risk all this for the sake of a magic that no one believes in anymore. There were mumblings from the Feather Tribe as Rook's poison worked deeper. So what do you say, Jay? You've always told us to lay low, out of sight and out of danger. Jay said nothing for a while, then he cleared his throat. I wonder, Rook, 
whether Eska and Flint are right. Hiding away until the midnight sun passes isn't the answer anymore, not when it means risking the lives of all our families trapped in Winterfang. He paused. Maybe we do, in fact, have a fight ahead of us, and if so, we might need to start trusting in Erkenwald's magic again. The candlelight glimmered over Rook's feathers. We were managing fine before your guests showed up. What if they were tailed here by Tusk guards? What if the Ice Queen finds us? The Feather Tribe exchanged anxious glances. Or, Rook spat, what if fighting means the end for us like it did for so many of our parents? The boys and girls huddled round the table, nodded. We might be eaten by wolverines, cried one. Or cursed by the Ice Queen's shaman, said another. And before long, the tribe had erupted again, shouts, threats, fists banging. Rook sat down and smirked at Jay. And that is what happens when you let outsiders in. Jay tried to bring everyone back to order, to make them understand that their tribe wasn't something fixed and closed, that it was open to strange dreams, fur people, and even a girl with a golden eagle by her side. But Rook's words had stirred the Feather Tribe's fear, and it brought the worst of their hearts out into the open. Blue raised her hands to cover her ears, and Eska turned frightened eyes to Flint. What do we do now? she said in a cracked whisper. Flint thought back to Whitefur's words. Tell them about your voice. Eska reached a hand up to her throat. My voice is nothing compared to all their shouting. Nothing. Flint shook his head. Then tell them about the Sky Song's power. Tell them about the things that Whitefur said your voice can do when you find the Frosthorn. Silence the tribes, command animals, and shake the skies, Eska whispered. Good, Flint replied. Now louder, much louder. Beside her, Jay leant forward. Tell them, Eska. They might be my tribe, but they're not listening to me. Perhaps they need to hear it from someone else. Eska looked at the raging crowd. I, I don't think it'll work. There's too many of them and my voice isn't big enough. Flint shook his head. You just need one person to listen, then others will follow. Eska stood up, her knees shaking, and cleared her throat. Flint thought of the Ice Queen winding away Eska's voice, and he knew that when the anthem came again, they'd hear it, even though they were in the middle of a mountain, and that afterwards, Eska's voice would be weaker still. But for now, she had words, and she needed to speak them with all the force left inside her. Tell them, Eska, he said firmly. The Sky Song isn't something that belongs to worn-out legends, Eska cried. A few children looked up at her, but most continued to jeer and shout. Keep going, Flint urged. It's the tune the North Star played on the Frosthorn to breathe life into Erkenwald all those years ago, she shouted. And it's the only thing that can defeat the Ice Queen now, she paused. I may not remember anything from my past, but I know this. We only have three days to stop the Ice Queen cursing Erkenwald and wiping out the Fur and Feather tribes forever. But together with my friends and the help of Erkenwald's magic, I will find the Frosthorn and claim the Sky Song. And when I do, 
I will use my voice to stop the Ice Queen and put an end to the divide between tribes. Some of the Feather Tribe heckled, and for a second, Flint wondered how on earth Eska was going to break through their distrust and hatred. But then he noticed that others were listening and Eska was forging on. I will silence the tribes, command animals, and shake the skies. More heads turned to listen, and Balapan leapt from her perch and circled in the air above them all. I may not have a whole tribe behind me, Eska cried. I may not have words that you think amount to much now, but I won't give in. I won't back down. I have a voice, and I'm going to make it count. She had the tribe's attention now. The chamber was absolutely silent. Because we have a kingdom to protect and families to bring home, and even in the face of an ice queen whose anthem reaches every corner of Erkenwald, our voices matter more. I will find the frost horn, and I will blow it from the stars, and as one tribe, we will beat the ice queen. Balapan's call rang out then like a shuddering battle cry, and suddenly the Feather Tribe were on their feet, whooping and cheering. And Flint smiled at Eska. Some people collected shields of bark, others collected eggshells and feathers, but Eska, she collected people. Blue ran round the table and hugged Eska tight, and at their feet Pebble began chasing his tail and yapping excitedly. Jay raised an eyebrow at Rook. And that is what happens when you let outsiders in. Then, to Flint, Esker and Blue's surprise, the tribe began to sing a slow, lilting tune that reminded Flint of the way the wind soughed through the trees in deep roots. And with every word that sounded, Flint realised that this was a tribe who, contrary to Rook's words, did still believe in magic. Up north, before the groaning splinters, the grey man stands up tall. He's been there now for many winters, though snow and hail does fall. The cliffs are steep, we can but warn, gravestones are often laid. So those who search for the lost frost horn must seek the grey man's aid. And though the Ice Queen's anthem began as soon as the Feather Tribe finished singing, weaseling its way into the depths of the Lost Chambers, it was a soulless drone compared to what Flint, Esker and Blue had just heard. Flint reached down and ruffled Pebble's head. We have a lead now. We need to find the grey man before the groaning splinters, the icebergs way up north. Eska rubbed her throat as the Ice Queen's anthem wound its way round her windpipe, leaving her voice almost threadbare. We'll leave as soon as it's light. Jay nodded. We're behind you, Eska. When you find the frost horn and blow it from the stars, we'll know to come out of hiding to help you. He paused. I don't suppose either of you has a plan for how to reach the stars. Eska hung her head and blue blew through her lips, but Flint looked at Jay with glittering eyes. I have an idea, he said. Eska stepped forward. An invention. Flint avoided her eyes. Possibly. He fiddled with his cuff. 
I don't like talking about my ideas until I've properly thought them through, just in case they don't work. Jay nodded. What do you need? Is there anything we can help with? As a matter of fact, yes. Flint picked up a snow goose feather from the ground. It was white and large, and he ran a finger up and down its length. How many of these do you have? Jay grinned. Thousands. Can I take some? Jay picked up another and pressed it into Flint's hand. You can take them all. And it was then that Flint recalled where he had seen Jay before. Years and years ago, when he was little more than a scrap, his pa had taken him hunting, and out on the foothills before the Nevercliffs, they had shared food with the Feather Chief and his son. Flint tilted his head towards Jay. I remember you, he said. Jay was thoughtful for a moment, and then he smiled. Round the campfire when we were very small, he said slowly. We ate snow hare and caribou before everything... He paused. Changed. You had lost your quiver of arrows in the river that day, and I lent you mine. Flint nodded, and Jay reached out and put his hand on Flint's shoulder. From this day on, you and your tribe will always be welcome here, and if we cross paths hunting, we will stop and eat and share stories. Flint felt a heaviness inside him lift at the warmth of Jay's words. Erkenwald was that little bit closer to the kingdom he remembered before the Ice Queen arrived and turned it upside down. But while Flint, Esker, Blue and the Feather Tribe busied themselves collecting snow goose feathers and clearing away dinner, Rook brushed past the moonflit in the entrance tunnel. She clutched the wolverine fang in a hot, angry fist, and with the sound of the Ice Queen's anthem ringing in her ears, she stalked out into the starless night. Chapter 25 Esker Esker woke to the Ice Queen's anthem and the sound of a bird call. She pushed back the feather quilt, stretched inside the cage she had slept in, and opened her eyes. Balapan was still crouched on the ledge outside it, but Esker knew the call she had heard hadn't belonged to the eagle. A short, sharp yap came again from the entrance tunnel. It was the cry of a snowy owl. Esker had heard a similar call from her hideaway behind the giant's beard, but something about this one was slightly different. And then Pippet burst into the cavern, and Esker remembered his words from the night before. The snowy owl call was a signal used by the feather tribe, a warning that danger was nearby. The moon flit, Pippet cried as the feather tribe sat up in their cages. She's crying, and her tail's tucked up and shaking. Jay scrambled up the ledges until he came to an empty birdcage not far from Esker's. She's gone, he gasped. Rook's gone. The feather tribe leapt out of their cages and reached for their bows and arrows. She's, she's gone to the Ice Queen, hasn't she? Esker stammered. Jay's face darkened. Perhaps. Something inside Rook changed a few weeks ago. She came in from a hunt and her thoughts were darker, her words sharper. He shook his head. But I don't believe Rook's to blame. I think it's the Ice Queen. Somehow she got to Rook. Jay glanced towards the tunnels on into the mountains. 
You must leave now. Your skis won't be much use on the ice flats, but we can lend you a sled and some dogs from the outchambers. Ride fast across the Driftlands until you find the Grey Man. There's no time to spare if the Ice Queen knows where you are. Flint gathered up his sack of snow goose feathers. What if Rook tells the Ice Queen where the entrance to the Lost Chambers is? I've ways of charming the door and changing its location, Jay explained. And then, after a pause, you're not the only one who kept believing in magic when the rest of the tribe turned their backs. Grabbing Pebble from the food store, where he was helping himself to a third breakfast, Flint, Esker and Blue tore through the candlelit passageways after Jay. They ran past chambers filled with furs, bows and arrows, until eventually they came to a small cave that contained ten yapping dogs. Balapan flew up to the highest ledge she could find and peered down. The dogs were bigger than Flint's had been, wolfish grey coats and strong muscled legs, and they crowded round Jay, their tails wagging, as he harnessed them to a fur-lined sled. There was space enough for Esker and Flint to stand on the runners, and Esker nudged Blue towards the seat in front. For you, Esker whispered, a little throne. Blue clambered on. Happy. Pebble swaggered up to the dogs, desperate to be part of the pack, but Flint lifted the fox pup into his arms, dropped him onto Blue's lap, then wedged his sack of feathers at her feet. Working dogs don't eat three breakfasts before a run, Pebble. He climbed onto the back of the sled, but Esker hesitated for a moment and looked at Jay. You will come, won't you? Her voice was little more than a scratch. When I blow the frost horn. Jay nodded. I'll come. The whole tribe will. I give you my word. Pulling her hood up, Esker mounted the sled beside Flint. Words, she was beginning to realise, were like glue. They held promises and friendships together, and though her own words were coming apart, she hoped that Jay's were enough to rouse his tribe when her call came. Thank you for everything, she whispered. Jay smiled, then he put his hand on a slab of rock on the chamber wall. Once I open the door here, you'll be out on the Driftlands. The dogs shifted their weight as if they could sense the journey ahead. Ride fast across the ice and follow the river until it reaches the groaning splinters. You'll find the grey man there, and though our ancestors talk of a wise old man, it's my bet he'll be in pieces in light of what's been going on. The Ice Queen's reign won't have been kind to folk like him. He pushed against the slab of rock, and it crunched forward to reveal a door out of the mountain. Almost immediately, there was a sharp cry and a flap of feathers as Balapan glided into the world beyond. The cold slipped into Esker's lungs, and she squinted into the silver mist that hung over the Driftlands. Spring hasn't reached the north yet, Jay said, but you'll find the ice makes your travels swift. He clasped Esker's and Flint's hands, then he ruffled Blue's hair. Until we meet again. Good luck. And before Esker, Flint or Blue could reply, the dogs lurched forward, hauling the sled out onto the ice, and it was several seconds before Flint gathered them under his control. He steered through the mist. How are we going to find the river in this? I can barely see the Nevercliffs behind us, let alone Balapan in front. Esker peered through the wisps of white. 
They hung like floating ribbons over the ice, masking the morning sun. And though the Ice Queen's anthem had now trailed away, every time Eska heard a new sound, the wind moaning, a muskox grunt, she spun round. The mist was a cloak, and the Ice Queen and her sleigh might appear from under it at any moment. Flint nudged Eska. Well, how are we going to find it? I'm thinking, Flint, Eska replied. I need quiet for that. Flint tapped his mittens on the sled, and Eska tried to ignore him. And as they raced away from the Nevercliffs, Eska thought carefully. Animals needed water to survive, so any wolves or muskoxen that prowled the Driftlands would head to the river if they could break a hole in the ice. Follow any animal tracks you find, she said. They'll lead us to the river. But as Eska's eyes flicked downwards, it was not footprints that she saw. All around them now, only just visible through the mist, were caribou antlers, shed from the animals themselves the year before. They lay on the ice like stiff white claws. That's odd, Flint murmured. Normally the hares, lemmings and voles gnaw away at the antlers after they've fallen from the caribou. Eska shifted her weight. Why would those creatures suddenly stay away? Look, on the tip of every antler, Flint swallowed. I think the smaller animals did come. They just never left. And as Eska peered more closely, she noticed the tiny animal skulls hanging from the antler tips. Blue tucked her legs up to her chin. Pebble burrowed his head into her furs, and in front of them... The dog's ears cocked this way and that. It was like a graveyard of antlers around them, and Flint did his best to weave a way through, but when his sled crunched over one, the wind died away completely, and the silence that followed pulsed. The Ice Queen's dark magic has been here, Flint whispered. This whole place feels cursed. A taste of what's to come for the kingdom if we can't stop her. Eska shivered. Ride faster. Flint urged the dogs on, and in the distance they heard a wolf howl. Eska tensed. The sound was low and lingering, like wind moaning through a chimney, and as it rang out, the skulls on the antler tips rattled. Then it died away, and a few moments later the sled was free of the antlers, and Eska glimpsed Balapan's silhouette through the mist. She pointed down to the snow. Wolf tracks leading east. They followed them until they came to the river, a silent snake winding its way north a few minutes later. This grey man, what do you think he's like? Eska asked. Flint flapped his reins and the dogs sped on. Old, if the Feather Tribe have been singing songs about him for generations, and unhappy because the Ice Queen doesn't look kindly on Erkenwald's magic. Eska nodded. We can cheer him up, especially when he learns that you're an inventor and you might know a way of reaching the stars so that I can blow the frost horn. Flint glanced at Eska. You know inventions don't always work. Yes. So you understand this one could be a disaster? Yes. So why aren't you more worried? I'm terrified, Eska said quietly, but sometimes... All you can do when you're scared is hope. 
The mist thickened without them noticing at first. It was only when the dogs grew twitchy, shying at bends in the river and flinching at frozen trees, that Eska felt her heart quicken. Then the wind picked up, heaving and groaning, and stirring the mist so that it rose around them like a slow-creeping wave. The dogs stopped before Flint drew them in, and though they were large, strong beasts, they whined like newborn pups. And when Balapan appeared through the hazy screen and swept low beside Eska, she knew something wasn't right. Blue turned wide eyes to her brother. I scared Flint. Before Flint could reply, the wind blew harder, whipping the snow and ice up into its swell until a churn of flakes tore around them and the world seemed to dissolve into white. The dogs backed up towards the sled and Balapan's wings juddered as the wind gathered pace and strength. Eska shielded her eyes with her arm as the snow beat against her. This storm is brewed with the Ice Queen's magic. Keep going. Flint whipped the dogs on, but as the wind shunted the snow and ice against the group, the dogs yanked at their harnesses before snapping free and bounding away into the endless white. The sled ground to a halt again, and the blizzard raged with newfound fury, sending needle-sharp ice against the children's faces. Flint rushed towards Blue and lifted her pebble and his sack of feathers from the sled. The group could barely open their eyes in the face of the storm, but Eska managed to, just a crack, and that was enough to see a square shape, a snow-covered food store perhaps, a few metres in front of them. There! she cried. Shelter! Balapan spiralled into the sky and yapped, but her cries were drowned by the smashing of the gale, and Eska, Flint and Blue staggered towards the hut. They yanked the door open, and it clattered back against the wall. Then they stumbled over the threshold and hauled the door shut. Chapter 26 Flint It was still and quiet inside the hut, despite the wind and the snow roaring across the driftlands, and Flint noticed a rickety table with a stool beside it and a heap of furs bunched in a rocking chair in the corner. There was nobody inside that he could see, but the place felt homely, a welcome escape from the menace outside. Flint tickled Pebble's chin, then bent down beside his sister. Are you okay? Blue brushed the snow from her face. Don't like hut. Not nice. It's better than being outside in the Ice Queen's storm, Flint replied, but he noticed that Pebble didn't leap down from his hood to explore as he usually would. Where's Balapan? Eska whispered. Didn't she follow us in? Flint's eyes caught on a dark shape huddled on the windowsill outside. The eagle's wings were folded tight against the barrage of snow and wind. Eska eyed her cautiously. Do you think if Balapan didn't come in, then... Flint grabbed Eska's arm. Look at the walls. Eska gasped. In the hurry to find shelter, no one had noticed that this was a hut made entirely of bones. Flint glanced around, his shoulders bunching higher as he took in the mesh of white bones surrounding them. Then he listened to the tap-tap-tapping of Balapan's beak against the window, a small but fierce sound amid the gusting blizzard. We need to leave, 
he hissed. Now, because I don't think this is an old food store at all. I think it's a hut cursed by dark magic. Eska shot to the door and yanked the handle, but it wouldn't budge. She threw her body against it. Still, it wouldn't move, and at the realisation that they were trapped, Blue shuffled closer to Flint. And that's when the wolves began to howl, hollow moans that rose into the storm and echoed with malice. Wild wolves don't sound like that, Flint whispered. Eska gulped. They're bewitched, aren't they? Flint put a shaking arm round Blue as the howls droned on into the storm. We can't just stay here and wait for the wolves to come for us, Eska spluttered. We need to get out. As if in response, Balapan flung her weight against the window. But this pane wasn't made of glass. It was a slab of cursed ice, and no matter how many times the eagle barged into it, it wouldn't break. The wolves howled again, and Flint watched in horror as Balapan launched herself off the windowsill and disappeared from sight. Has, has she left us? He cried, rushing to the window. Eska followed. She can't have done. She'd never abandon us. And while Flint and Esker pressed panicked palms up to the glass, Blue hurried to the corner of the hut. Unseen by the others, she crouched low and whispered to the eagle whose talons she could hear wrenching the bones away from the outside. Blue peered through a tiny gap that the eagle had opened up. I see you, Bala. I help. She pulled at a bone, and as it fell away, the whole hut groaned and then juddered, and a much larger bone from the ceiling clattered down, smashing the rocking chair behind her in two. Flint whirled round and then gasped as he saw what was happening. Balapan and Blue! he cried, snatching up his sack of feathers. They're creating a hole for us to escape out of! He and Esker darted towards the corner of the hut, and kneeling beside Blue began scrabbling at the walls. A cluster of bones thumped down, missing Flint's head by a fraction. Careful, big brother, Blue said. Hut fall, big bang, slowly, slowly with bones. And though the wolf howls clamoured closer and Blue's, Flint's and Esker's hands were tingling with nerves, they pushed gently against each bone they wanted to move until finally there was an opening large enough to crawl through. Now! Flint cried, ushering Blue out first. Quick! He followed close behind with Pebble in his hood, and just as Esker lifted her body through the gap after him, the whole hut creaked to the side, then the bones thundered down into a giant heap of rubble behind them. Balaban! Esker panted as she clambered free from the debris. She held the eagle against the storm, and Flint hugged his little sister, but there was no time for praise. They didn't have any dogs to pull their sled away. Even running would be hard, because the snow blocked out the sun and shadows so that all that remained was a depthless white. And still the wolves howled. They sounded terrifyingly close now, and Flint cursed as he realised Whitefur had only sworn to help them in the Nevercliffs. Balapan tore up into the sky, and Esker grabbed Blue's hand. Run, she croaked. Follow Balapan. Flint seized his sack of feathers, then grabbed Blue's other hand, and together they sped from the rubble of bones heads down as they charged through the blizzard after the eagle. And though the snow battered their faces and the wind punched their furs, they struggled on. 
that the Ice Queen's dark magic was on to the group now, and as the storm pulled back for a moment, three sleds drawn by enormous midnight black wolves raced into view. Blue shrieked in horror as the pack of slathering animals, pulling twelve tusked guards clad in ice armour and tusked helmets, advanced. Then the blizzard closed in again and the sleds vanished. Flint, Esker and Blue ran blindly after Balapan. Did the eagle know a place where they would be safe? Flint wondered. Or was she fleeing too in the knowledge that the dark magic was finally closing in? The wolves bayed and the tusk guards bellowed, but the noises didn't seem to be coming from behind them now. The din was all around, a bawling, roaring, screeching ruckus. Flint listened to it and saw Balapan hovering above them. Then he realised with sickening dread that there was nowhere left to run, nowhere left to hide. He stopped and drew out his anything knife and Eska pulled down her bow and arrows. Then they waited but the wolves didn't approach. The din grew steadily louder, and as Flint and his friends huddled together, they realised the roaring sound did not belong to the wolves. Theirs was a strangled yowl, while louder than that, fiercer than that, was the throaty growl of another animal. Flint turned to Esker. There's something else out here on the Driftlands. Esker nodded. Even Blue seemed to understand, and as the group listened to the roars and clashing of spears, Flint realised that someone, or something, was fighting their battle. The air rang with the sound of the fight, roars so deep and fierce and wild that the very blizzard seemed to shake. The wails of the men were nothing beside those roars, merely empty cries that knew the end was in sight, and then, finally... There was silence. Even the wind died to nothing, as if it was no longer bound under the Ice Queen's control. No guards cried out. No beasts roared. The only sound to break the stillness was a slow, heaving pant. Then the mist lifted, and Flint, Esker and Blue saw clearly. Twelve tusk guards lay strewn on the ice, and surrounding them, and Flint, Esker and Blue, was a ring of enormous urchin bears. They faced inwards, their soot-black noses pointing to their kills, their bodies planted like boulders. Flint's blood coursed. This is either an excellent situation to be in, or a dreadful one. His eyes darted from one bear to the next, it's very hard to tell which. The wild doesn't play by ordinary rules, Esker murmured. Flint gulped. In which case, they won't be that fussed about what they eat. Tusk guards, wolves, us. He watched Balapan rising coil after coil into the sky, the tips of her feathers fluttering in the wind. The eagle didn't cry out or yap to warn them of danger. She simply flew until she was almost lost in the clouds. Then she let her call go, and one by one, the bears threw up their heads and roared. The sound of the bears and the eagle tore across the Driftlands, and as Flint glanced at Esker, he felt a strange tingling fill his body. She was surrounded by the wild, her tribe, and for a moment it felt like the animals were singing just for her. The urchin bears fell silent, and Balapan flew without calling. Then very slowly, Esker stood up. 
The bears took a step closer, claiming the ice with their heavy paws. I hope you have a plan, Flint moaned. Esker walked closer still, edging towards the largest bear in the circle, until its ragged breath ruffled her hair. Then she stopped. White fur, she whispered, her voice so quiet it barely sounded at all. You came for us, didn't you? And at that, the mighty bear dipped his head. Flint staggered to his feet. White fur! The Urken bear didn't stand up on two feet and shake back his pelt to reveal a man inside, but something about the way the animal looked at Flint, the way it looked right into his soul, made him feel sure that this was their friend. Blue picked herself up and ran towards him. Flint gasped, Blue, no! The little girl threw her arms round the Urken bear's neck, burying her head in his soft white fur. Flint blushed. You can push her off if you want, white fur. But the Urken bear simply wound his head round and tucked Blue closer to his body. Esker lifted a hand to white fur's pelt, and as she did so, the first few notes of the Ice Queen's anthem began. Flint shivered. It couldn't be later than midday. The choir had only finished singing a few hours ago. But the midnight sun would rise the day after tomorrow, and Flint knew the Ice Queen was bent on swallowing all the stolen voices before then. He watched as Esker tried to ignore the anthem and focus on the Urken bear before her. She stroked his neck. Thank you, White Fur. If you hadn't... <coughs> Esker tried to clear her throat to allow her words out, but no matter how many times she swallowed, her voice wouldn't sound above a whisper. The Ice Queen's anthem droned on, louder now that she had swallowed so many of her prisoners' voices, but it made Flint think of the contraption Esker said the Tusk Shaman had made. Was it fueled by the anthem, and now that the choir sang more often, was it coming close to draining Esker's voice completely? He watched Esker's eyes fill with tears, and then the circle of Urken bears dropped their heads low. Flint bit his lip. Could the Urken bears tell that the Ice Queen was winning? We won't manage to get to the Frosthorn in time, Esker whispered. Will we? But Flint's gaze was now fixed on the Urken bears, on the way that they were standing. Heads dipped, one foreleg stretched out ahead and the other tucked under their bodies. Esker, he said slowly, the Urkenbears aren't giving up. They're bowing. Bowing, Esker whispered. Why? Flint's eyes shone. Because you're in their tribe and they know, just as I do, that you're the one person in Urkenwald who can still set all this right. Chapter 27 Esker When the Urken bears pulled back from their circle and gathered together a little way from the group, Esker opened her rucksack and shared round the grayling and boiled eggs Jay had packed for them. She knew the Urken bears were on their side, but something about their size and smell made Esker and her friends eat with one eye on their food and one eye on the bears. 
Only Pebble seemed unfazed by their presence, chomping and burping his way through his meal as if he was indulging in a feast in deep roots. The afternoon sun burned through the clouds, and Eska knew that this break in the weather was just what they needed to travel north. She glanced at the tusk sleds, smashed to pieces by the fight, but the Ice Queen's anthem had gone quiet for a while, and without it droning on, Eska found she could think more clearly. We need to find the Grey Man, she whispered, but we've no way of getting north other than walking. Blue scoffed. Bears! Flint shook his head. They're not for riding, Blue. The wild's not like that. The group watched as five of the Urken bears sloped away, spreading out in all directions over the ice, until just white fur and one other bear remained. I wonder, Eska whispered. She stood up and walked towards the two Urken bears. Then she leant in close to white fur. She didn't use words. Somehow it didn't feel right, in the same way that if you were going to climb a mountain you wouldn't stop to ask its permission. Instead, she ran a hand down the bear's neck, then scooped a fistful of fur into her hand. White fur dipped his head, and Eska hauled herself up onto his back. And as Eska sat astride the Urken bear, she remembered White Fur's words inside the giant's beard. Your voice has the power to silence the tribes, command animals, and shake the skies. And smiled. She had silenced the tribes, well, one of them anyway, and now she was commanding the animals. She squinted into the sun. Suddenly, shaking the skies didn't seem quite so impossible after all. Grabbing his sack full of feathers, Flint edged over to the second Urken bear with Blue. He gave a polite little bow, then glanced at his sister. I think you should curtsy before you climb up. Blue looked disgusted. Wild not like that, Flint. And seizing the bear's fur, she hoisted herself up. Wedging Pebble into his hood, Flint climbed on after her, then he slotted the sack into Blue's lap and wrapped one arm round it and his little sister and clung on to the Urken bear's neck with his other. They'll take us to the Grey Man, Esker whispered. She glanced at Balapan soaring above them, then she looked across to Flint. Ready? Pebble barked and Flint gave a shaky nod. Ready. The Urken bears lumbered forward, pounding over the ice with their giant paws, and at first Esker jostled around on the bear's back, desperately trying to stay upright. It was only when she raised her knees so that she was bent low over Whitefur's neck that she found the bear's rhythm. And then she didn't move like a girl, but a wild thing, pressed close to the heart of beasts. So this was what it felt like to move like a bear. Eska thought, to swallow the ground underfoot rather than stumble breathlessly across it. She grinned. It was like running with the strength of a waterfall on her side. On and on the bears raced, over ridges of snow, across iced rivers and through copses of winter bear trees, while Balapan flew above. They never tired, never slowed, never stopped once. Eventually, the coast came into view, the groaning splinters, Flint murmured as they neared the snow-blasted cliff tops. We're close to Tusk territory now. 
From the urken bears' backs, Esker, Flint and Blue looked at the giant icebergs, floating like half-toppled houses on the turquoise sea. Esker shivered. Further east along the coast, and thankfully out of sight from where they stood now, were the Tusk tribe igloos and the cursed iceberg that was Winterfang Palace. Esker slipped from Whitefur's back onto the snow. The cliffs in front of her dropped vertically to the sea. Their only hope down them was if they found the grey man. But as Esker looked around, she could see no sign of a tall old man who had braved many winters out on the northern coast. She walked round to face Whitefur and held his heavy jaw in her hands. Where is the grey man? she whispered. Do you know? She half hoped that Whitefur would show his human form and trade words instead of grunts, but the wild never bent the way you wanted it to. Whitefur rubbed his head into Esker's shoulder, and she knew that this was goodbye, for now, that he had taken her to the right place, and it was up to her, Flint, and Blue to do the rest. Thank you, she whispered against the din of the kittiwakes and guillemots chattering from the cliffs. I wish my words were louder so that I could really tell you how grateful I am. Whitefur stood on the cliff top with Esker, then he dipped his head, and together with the second bear, he hastened back across the ice, into the heart of Erkenwald once again. Balapan swooped down and landed on Esker's shoulder. It won't be long before the Ice Queen steals your voice completely, Flint said to Esker, and just two days until the midnight sun rises. So where on earth is this grey man? Over here, came a tart reply. Esker jumped. The voice belonged to a man with a high, almost weedy voice, which might have gone unnoticed had Flint been talking more loudly. Well, don't just stand there gawping, the voice squeaked. I've got a headache, a broken leg, a sore back and a sprained knee. I very obviously need help. Blue clutched Flint's hand. Who this? Who there? The voice came again, even higher and crosser than before. No one comes my way for almost a year, and then you three show up like a trio of gaping buffoons. There was a sigh. I'm right under your noses, you know. Esker glanced at the little mound of snow in front of her. You don't think... Balapan leapt down from her shoulder, and Esker brushed a handful of snow aside to reveal a heap of small rocks. The reedy voice sounded again. It was louder this time, and it came straight from the rocks themselves. Why are humans always so confoundedly stupid? Flint stared at the rocks. How, how can they be speaking? Like this, the voice snapped. Blue bent down and lifted up a long, thin rock. Do you mind? The voice muttered. That's my arm. Esker's eyes widened. Jay's words about the grey man. She forced her voice on. He'll be in pieces in light of what's been going on. In pieces. The grey man is literally in pieces. The rocks looked decidedly fed up, if rocks could look that way. Clever clogs. Flint blinked. The Ice Queen must have torn him down in the battle. Maybe we need to build him back up into a person so that he can help us. The voice sighed. Yes, you do. Before the sun sets too, because I have absolutely no confidence in your working in the dark.
There was a pause. So would you be so kind as to pass me my arm? Ignoring the grey man's demands, Flint lifted an oval rock from the pile and placed it in the snow. This could be a face, he murmured, if you squint at it hard enough. Of course it's my face, you bumbling idiot, the voice inside the rock barked. Balapan raked her talons across a rounder rock. Do be careful, that's my bottom. It's gone rather numb after all this lying down in one place, but I am still fond of it. In fact, I'd say it's one of my best features. Down on their hands and knees, Esker, Flint, Balapan, Blue and even Pebble worked as quickly as they could to piece the grey man back together. Put your back into it, the rock squeaked. I mean, put my back into it. And my hands. I'll be needing them if you want me to help you. And although the conversation was somewhat stressful and Blue seemed determined to place the grey man's foot on top of his head and Pebble spent far too much time using his tail to flick stones at Flint's bottom, they did eventually manage to cobble together a figure with the rocks. There was a moment of silence as the group looked at their creation arranged in the snow. Now what? Flint hissed. The grey man lay there in the vague shape of a man. His face was a blank stone still. There was no mouth, no nose, no eyes. And yet the creaky voice came again. Now this, it chuckled. Finally, this. As he spoke, the snow around him whipped up into a flurry. Then the stones began to move. They ground together like rusty joints. Then the grey man stood up, and on the stone that was his head, a face showed. An old, wrinkled face carved into the rock itself and spotted with lichen. Two grey eyes blinked. Am I tall and splendid? Esker squinted. The man came up to her knee. But the Feather Tribe song... Flint mumbled as he glanced towards the grey man. It said he was tall, and he needs to be if he's going to help us find our way down the cliffs to the Frosthorn. There was an awkward pause. I knew it, the grey man wailed. I'm small, aren't I? He raised a rocky palm to his forehead. Oh, dismantle my legs, lob off my head, cast me off the edge of the cliff. Blue reached out a hand and patted him on the head. You being silly now? That wretched ice queen, the grey man snivelled. When she cast me down, she stripped me of my devilishly attractive height. She said there was no room for giants in her Erkenwald. Flint's jaw hardened. Well, this isn't her Erkenwald, it's ours. And this time, Esker didn't have to prompt Flint to rummage through his rucksack for an invention. He ripped the bag open and pulled out a stoppered bottle. Under the fading light, Esker saw a jet-black liquid within the glass that every now and again flickered gold. What's that? the grey man asked suspiciously. Bottled lightning, Flint replied. A few drops can drastically increase an object's size or speed. Are you sure, boy? The grey man wagged his finger at Flint. Because I might have an allergy to it and I really don't want... Blue, it appeared, didn't have much patience with the grey man's allergies and before he could get any more words out, she grabbed the bottle from Flint and began tipping the liquid over him. Flint snatched the bottle back before she could drain the whole thing. 
I need the rest of it for something else, Blue, something important. For a few seconds, nothing happened, and then the grey man gasped. He was growing before their very eyes. The rocks that formed his body swelled to become boulders, the stones that were his fingers stretched out into plinths, and the rock that was his head grew until it was as big as a door. The grey man cricked his neck, and his voice came forth in a deep boom. I had forgotten how splendid it feels to be a giant. Blue patted Flint on the back. You best inventor. Flint beamed. We've come for the frost horn, Esker whispered to the grey man. Well, of course you have. I didn't think you'd drop by with the Urken bears for a cup of tea. So how do we get down to the shore without dying? Flint asked. The grey man waved a hand casually. Oh, it's just a hop, skip and a jump. Would you like to ride on my shoulder or my head? Both will be equally uncomfortable. Chapter 28 Esker They chose the grey man's shoulder, partly because it was a flatter surface, but mostly because when Blue tried to scale the giant's nose to reach his forehead, the giant had sneezed and Blue had been coated in a thick layer of slime. Esker, Flint, Blue and Pebble sat on the grey man's shoulder with the sack of feathers, silently envying Balapan gliding above. The sky ahead was pink, and the sea around the icebergs almost purple as the light finally faded. Esker swallowed. Somewhere out there was the legendary Frosthorn, and time was running out to claim it. The giant strode back quite some way from the cliff edge, we're sort of in a hurry, Esker whispered. Aren't you going the wrong way? You must never underestimate the wrong way, the grey man thundered, because more often than not it turns out to be the right way, just with a few more bends in the road. Flint nodded warily. Yet another detour. The giant spun round and Esker and her friends clung to the rocky crevices in his shoulder, then the grey man took an enormous stride forward, then another and another, and Esker dug her fingers into the cracks in the stone. Hold on, the grey man hollered. It's been a while since I made the jump, and I've no idea if my back will hold out during the descent. A look of horror washed over Flint's face, but Blue grinned. Whee! she shouted as the giant leapt from the cliff. I tell Tomkin I'd jump with giant. They plummeted down, 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 with Balapan at their side, past the puffins, kittiwakes and guillemots crammed onto the rocky ledges, and Esker's stomach lurched. And run from wolves, Blue giggled. The horror plastered across Flint's face deepened, and then they landed on the snowy beach with a very large and slightly painful bump. The grey man dusted a clump of lichen from his leg. Not bad, considering. Esker breathed out, and as she watched Balapan preening her feathers nearby, she thought how much less complicated life would be if she was an eagle. Still, they had made it down to the shore, a drop many of the feather tribe had died attempting, 
and before them now was the sea, dark purple and loaded with icebergs. There were harp seals and bearded seals dotted here and there on the flat icebergs nearby, but further out on the bridges, leaning towers, columned arches and pyramids chiselled out of ice, there was nothing at all. Esker thought of her ma suddenly and wondered whether she had stood on this beach and swum in the waters that broke over it. The grey man lifted the group from his shoulder and set them down by the shore. They listened to the creak and jostle of the icebergs moving. The frost horn, the giant said quietly. You'll find it among the last of the groaning splinters. He paused. I would say more, but the truth is I don't know any more. I just remember many moons ago that the greatest of the sky gods left it there after breathing life into Erkenwald. Flint glanced at the driftwood lying about the beach and swung his sack of feathers to the ground. I have a plan, a rough one, for when, if, we get the frost horn. He sighed. But how do we even get out to the furthest icebergs in the first place? That's a jungle of ice. We'll need a kayak to steer us through. The grey man knelt down beside them. Or just a very convenient wind. He didn't explain any more, and minutes later the last of the colour drained from the sky and night crowded in. Esker's skin prickled. There would only be a few hours of darkness. The nights were getting shorter with every day that passed. Then dawn would break, and they'd be just one day away from the midnight sun. You can't go on now, the grey man said. It's too dark, and you'll need a rest and food. Pebble snuffled in agreement. But I'll take you at first light. The grey man stepped back, and only then did Esker notice the abandoned igloo behind him. The slabs of snow were slightly misshapen, battered over the months by the winter storms, but it was good enough shelter for the night, and the group hurried towards it. I'll keep guard through the dark, the grey man said, settling himself down on a rock by the shore. He dropped his legs into the water and smiled. It's good to be home. Flint and Blue laid out furs inside the igloo, while Esker climbed up the cliffs with Balapan. The eagle cracked open the gull eggs and drained the yolks there and then, but Esker pocketed as many as she could carry and stole back to the igloo. She crept inside. This was a former tusk home, and yet, in the hour she had taken to forage for eggs, her friends had transformed the snowy dome. Flint had a fire going, and above it Blue had hung the magnifying glass infused with rainbow essence, and though from the outside the igloo looked just like a dark shape huddled at the foot of the cliffs, inside it glowed every colour possible. Turquoise danced over the roof, purple flickered across the floor, and gold shone on the walls. It's beautiful in here, Esker whispered, a pocket of Erkenwald not yet ruined by the Ice Queen. Flint cracked the eggs onto a flattened stone he had placed above the fire. Then he looked at Esker. We're going to find the Frosthorn, he said, however far out on the groaning splinters it is. But it's not just finding the horn, is it? Esker whispered. She thought of Rook leading the Tusk Guards towards the Lost Chambers. It's everything that comes after that. Blowing it from the skies, 
getting the tribes to fight with us, stopping the Ice Queen from changing Erkenwald forever. She looked down. So many things to hope for. Flint nodded. But think back to where we've come from. The music box, the giant's beard, the Nevercliffs, and the grey man outside guarding our sleep. It's going to be okay. We find Ma, Blue said. It wasn't a question. It was a fact. And Esco realised then that hope moved quickly. It could burn inside you one minute, and then, just when you thought you'd lost it, you'd find it shining in the hearts of your friends. She looked around the igloo. So long as one of them remembered to bring hope with them, perhaps things would turn out all right. Chapter 29 Flint As the sun rose over the horizon, big and pale and flooding the groaning splinters with light, Flint, Blue, Esker and Pebble knelt on a flattened iceberg. The grey man strode out into the sea, nudging the iceberg forward, and Flint stifled a yawn. He knew Esker hadn't noticed him creep out of the igloo in the night, but if he carried on yawning like this, she'd start to ask questions, and some things were better left unsaid, especially while the Ice Queen's anthem was going on and Esker's voice was little more than a wisp of breath. Flint glanced at Balapan circling above them, she has an unfair advantage in this quest, he muttered. Wings make all the difference. The grey man walked on for a while longer. Then he paused before a maze of iced bridges, arches and spiral columns. I'll leave you here, he said. It seems like a perfectly reasonable place. But we need to get to the furthest of the groaning splinters, Esker whispered. We're not even among them yet. Flint nodded. It's not as if the wind is going to carry us on. It's as calm as a mill pond this morning. Blue jabbed a little fist in both Esker and Flint's sides. Listen to Giant. He no way. The grey man smiled at Blue. For someone so small, you're actually rather wise. He stood back from the iceberg. And now for a spot of convenient wind. He took a deep breath in, and his stone body crunched as his chest swelled. Then he bent down, level with the iceberg the children sat on, and let his breath out. The iceberg drifted across the water, steered by the giant's breath, and the group swung round as they realised what was happening. "'You're really not coming with us?' Flint cried. The giant's breath continued to push the iceberg out, even though the grey man now stood up tall. I cannot stay any longer. There is someone I need to speak with. He paused. But you will find the frost horn, and together you will blow it from the stars. Flint wondered whether it would be impolite to point out that the time for overdue catch-ups with friends was probably not now, just hours from the Ice Queen's dominion over Erkenwald. But there was something in the giant's eyes as he said goodbye, something kind and honest and wise, and Flint didn't press the matter further. Thank you, Esker whispered, and though the sound didn't reach the giant waving from the shallows, Flint could tell that he knew the shape of those words, because he smiled. 
The giant's breath steered the iceberg on towards the groaning splinters, and had Flint's and Esker's minds not been filled with images of the Ice Queen wiping out the tribes and tearing down the sky gods if they failed to find the Frosthorn, they might have marvelled at the spectacle before them, at the spires, domes and caves of glittering blue ice. The iceberg drifted beneath an arch and on towards a row of spiked peaks, does it seem a bit too quiet to you? Flint asked after a while, if you ignore the Ice Queen's anthem. He listened for the cries of the birds from the cliffs, but there was nothing now. He looked back towards the flatter icebergs where the seals had been resting. They were gone too. The iceberg glided on, and Flint watched Balapan dipping low between the groaning splinters, as if perhaps she had seen something. He reached for his anything knife, and Esker gripped her quiver. Then a sloping brown head slid above the surface in front of the iceberg the group huddled on. Amber eyes, whiskers curling from a dark wet nose, and two sharp white tusks hanging either side of a drooping mouth. One by one, more brown heads appeared, until they surrounded the iceberg in a dark circle. Flint swallowed. Walruses. The giant's breath nudged the iceberg forward, but the largest of the walruses lifted its blubbery body out of the water a fraction more until it blocked the path through and the iceberg ground to a halt. They'll let us past, won't they? Esker whispered. But when the largest walrus shook his blubber and let out a juddering roar, Flint knew that these were not ordinary walruses. Like the wolves back on the Driftlands, these were now brutes, cursed to obey the Ice Queen. Flint fumbled with his knife as a walrus thumped its enormous body onto the ice and stabbed at the children with its tusks. Blue screamed, and Flint jammed his boot into its head. Then, as it reared backwards, Esker sent her arrow into its blubber. The walrus sank out of sight, but the others drew closer. Have you got an invention in your bag that can help us? Esker gasped. Flint's eyes widened as he remembered that he had left his rucksack back in the igloo. The grey man had warned against extra weight on the ice, and Flint hadn't wanted to lose the snow goose feathers he'd carried this far in the depths of the icy sea. He brandished his anything knife as another walrus shunted its hideous body against their iceberg. Then Balapan dive-bombed the beast, and it drew back for a second. They're trying to topple the iceberg, Flint cried. He pulled Blue behind him and plunged his anything knife into the neck of a walrus whose tusks were just centimetres from Esker's leg. The beast let out a low grunt whine. Then it vanished beneath the surface. The air shook with the Ice Queen's anthem and the roars of the walruses as they hacked the iceberg with their tusks, clawing closer to their prey. But Flint and Esker were in the hunt now, their aim sure, their weapons poised to kill, and Balapan was wielding her wings and talons above anything that came close to blue. Before long, just one walrus remained, the largest of the herd, it disappeared beneath the surface, and when Flint glanced down, he could see only the water and the undersides of turquoise icebergs. Has it gone? Esker whispered. The quietness dragged on, and Flint lowered his knife. 
Then there was an almighty boom from beneath as the walrus thrust its weight into the middle of the iceberg. It juddered, it groaned, and Flint's eyes widened. Then it crunched in two, Flint and Blue on one side and Esker on the other. The walrus slid through the water towards the iceberg that Flint and Blue were stranded on, and though Balapan hurtled down to try and distract it, the walrus merely batted the eagle away and, narrowing its yellow eyes, made a beeline for the iceberg. Keep going, Flint yelled to Esker. Use your bow as an oar until you reach the furthest of the groaning splinters. Then find the frost horn. The walrus slashed its tusks into the ice by Blue's boot, and when Flint wrenched his little sister away, he looked up to see Esker frantically trying to paddle towards them. Flint brandished his knife, and the walrus held back for a moment. Turn round and keep going, he shouted again. This is your chance, Esker. I can fight the walrus. For a second, Flint saw Esker falter. Then she turned her terror-stricken face away, and inched towards the last of the groaning splinters before the wide stretches of ocean. Flint took a deep breath. Then he turned back to face the walrus. Chapter 30. Esker. As Esker approached two glistening columns of ice, she turned briefly to catch a last look at her friends, but what she saw made her insides royal. A shattered iceberg, water pulsing red, and one fur mitten floating on the surface. Balapan screeched from her shoulder and surged into the sky, circling the crimson water again and again. Esker stood up, the horror drumming her bones, the anthem swirling in her ears, but when Balapan landed at her feet with her head bowed, she threw back her head. No! The wail was a whisper, as she knew it would be. Then suddenly the anthem cut to silence, and though Esker's mouth was still open and her throat still thrummed, the words stopped. Just like that. Esker's eyes widened, and she scrabbled at her throat. Then she swallowed hard and made to cry out again. But this time no sound left her body, not even a whisper. And the reality of the situation dawned on her. Flint and Blue were gone, and the Ice Queen had stolen her voice. Esker fell to her knees and wept, she had failed her friends, she had failed her parents, and now she had failed Erkenwald. Balapan wrapped her wings round her, but she couldn't stop the tears. The Ice Queen had her voice, and how long would it be before she used it to call the rest of the fur and feather tribes under her command and tear down the sky gods? Esker sobbed silently for Flint and Blue. There was nothing left worth fighting for now. The iceberg carrying the girl and the eagle drifted slowly on. Esker clutched at her throat and tried to find that hope she'd felt before, but it was gone, almost as if Flint and Blue had taken it into the depths of the sea with them. And when she did finally look up, she saw that she was inside a tunnel carved from blue ice. It curved over her head like a ceiling of turquoise jewels, and it was only then that Esker realised how far she must have floated. 
She glided out of the tunnel, and as she glanced down, something caught her eye. Black and white shapes speeding beneath the water, sleek bullets with blunt heads. Orcas, Esker thought. A pod of these whales was nudging her and Balapan's iceberg forward, and though to Esker it seemed that her fight was over, it appeared the Wild had a different opinion. And because of her unshakable bond with Erkenwald's animals, Esker looked ahead one more time, despite the grief that rocked inside her, to the last of the groaning splinters. The final iceberg was a curve of white, and it reared out of the sea like a slice of the moon. The orcas pushed Esker and Balapan on into a bay in front of it, and then all but one of the whales vanished into the deep. The remaining orca surfaced, and Esker held her breath at the sight of something so huge and fierce and wild. She looked into the whale's eye and felt a memory hover close. A woman with long red hair was rocking her back and forth while singing a lullaby about orcas and eagles. The memory slipped away and another surfaced. She was running now, hand in hand with her mother along the beach, and they were laughing. More memories of Blackfina flooded in, paddling a kayak beneath the stars, roasting fish inside an igloo, diving into the summer waves. Esker gazed at the orca for several minutes. Then she remembered the other name for this whale, the name her ma had taught her when she was a tiny girl. Blackfin. And suddenly it felt to Esker that while the frost horn might be miles away, her mother's spirit was close. The orca sank into the water and Balapan nestled into her side, but Esker could tell that the whale had not gone for good. Because a song began then, but not one composed of stolen voices like the Ice Queen's anthem. This song was wild. It was the call of the whales, and the ocean around Esker hummed with it. The whales sang with clicks and cries and long-drawn-out notes, and Esker's tears for flint and blue and all that she'd lost slipped from her cheeks into the water. And as they fell, something rather extraordinary happened. Another whale spiralled up from the depths, one with a speckled back, a white belly and a long, twisted tusk. A narwhal, the rarest of the whales, and if Esker's memories of her ma's words were true, it was known throughout Erkenwald as the unicorn of the sea. Its tusk broke the surface first, sparkling in the morning sun, and Esker blinked. The narwhal dipped its head as if it had expected to see Esker all along. Then it laid its tusk down on the iceberg in front of the girl. Balapan ruffled her feathers in anticipation, and hardly daring to breathe, Esker looked at the tusk. It was as long as her arm and wider at the end fixed to the whale's head. She leant a fraction closer and saw a symbol carved into the ivory around the tip. It can't be, Esker thought, but it was. A carving of the sky god's constellation, just like the birthmark on her neck. But why would a narwhal bear the mark of the sky song? Esker wondered. 
Balapan took a small step forward and dipped her head, and Esker, not wanting to seem impolite, dipped hers too. Then the narwhal shook its body and pulled back from the iceberg, sinking into the sea. Its tusk, however, remained on the ice, and Esker realised then that the North Star had given something very precious to the rarest whale in the kingdom. The tusk was the long-forgotten frosthorn. Esker's eyes grew large as she picked it up. She had found the frosthorn, but it had come too late for her poor friends, Flint and Blue. The lump in her throat grew. Perhaps now that she had the horn, though, there was still time to stop the Ice Queen from using her voice. And as the orcas pushed Esker and Balapan's iceberg back through the groaning splinters, Esker knew that her fight wasn't over yet, because here, in her hands, was hope. Chapter 31 Esker The orcas pushed the iceberg on, but when they came to the blue ice tunnel again, they left as soundlessly as they had arrived, and Esker's head filled with images of what she had last seen there, Flint urging her to go on to the last of the groaning splinters, Blue's terrified face as the walrus thrashed close, the sea swaying red. Fresh tears bloomed, and for a moment Esker felt so numb and empty she couldn't move. Then Balapan leant close to her, and she took a deep breath, laid the frosthorn by her feet, and paddled back between the remaining icebergs into the open water. The midday sun was dazzling, but through its glare she could just make out the igloo back on the snowy beach. She didn't have a plan yet, but she hadn't heard her voice echo out over the kingdom, so maybe, just maybe, there was still time for an idea to work itself out. But blowing the frost horn from the stars. She wasn't an inventor like Flint, so how was she going to climb up into the sky? A tear trailed down her cheek as she thought of Flint and Blue, and then her heart quickened. Back on the beach, through the haze of sunlight, something was moving. She squinted. Not possible, a voice inside her whispered, and then, please let it be possible. She dug her bow into the water again and again, pushing through the stream of sunlight until she burst through, and there, on the beach, were two people, a little girl dressed in furs playing with a fox pup on the rocks near the end of the bay, and a boy with a mop of tangled brown hair disappearing inside the igloo. They were alive. Somehow, Blue and Flint had survived the walrus attack and were waiting for her to return with the frost horn. Esker flung up her arms to get their attention. Then, out of the corner of her eye, she saw something else. A skin boat was rounding the headland into their bay, a tusk guard at its helm, and he was just a few metres from the rocks where Blue was cuddling Pebble. Esker opened her mouth to shout out, suddenly forgetting her voice had been stolen, and when no sound came, she threw up her hands. But Blue was facing the wrong way. She couldn't see Esker or the Tuscard approaching. Mind whirring, Esker seized the frost horn and blew as hard as she could. Nothing happened. Would the horn only sound if blown from the stars? Balapan pecked at her furs. 
Stay low, the eagle was saying. Stay hidden. Don't do anything that might draw attention. Esker steered behind a solitary iceberg. Then she peeped round to scan the beach for Flint. He was inside the igloo still, and as the tusk guard silently pulled up his boat and edged over the rocks towards Blue, Esker's body stiffened with fear. She was defenceless, no match for the guard and the weapons she saw glinting in his boat. She made to move, anything to try and warn Blue, but then she realised that if the guard saw her too, he'd raise the alarm and there could be more tusks further up the coast. They'd take them both, then they'd destroy the Frosthorn and there would be no hope of beating the Ice Queen. Esker watched in horror as Pebble launched himself at the tusk guard to try and protect Blue, but he was booted into the snow as the guard clamped a hand over Blue's mouth. Pebble struggled up and ran at the guard again, but the man simply seized the fox pub by the snout and dragged both him and Blue towards his skin boat before binding and gagging them. The guard began to row back around the headland, not thinking to check inside the igloo. And though Balapan was pressing all her weight against Esker, trying to hold her back, Esker couldn't just watch as Blue and Pebble were led away. She steered the iceberg into the open and stood up, shouting empty words and waving her hands. Blue's eyes met hers, wide and scared, but the tusk guard was facing the other way, rowing hard along the coast in the direction of the Ice Queen's palace. Confident now that the guard hadn't seen Esker, Balapan soared into the sky after the boat. The eagle shrieked as she approached the headland, and at the sound, Flint rushed out of the igloo. He saw Esker floating towards him, and he threw up his hands and cheered. Then he glanced across the beach to where Blue had been playing. He started forward, suddenly realising that his little sister was gone. Then his face paled as he took in the eagle bulleting after the tail of a skinboat, gliding round the headland. No! Flint screamed. Not Blue! And Pebble! But the Tuscar didn't swing his boat round. He didn't even hear the boys cry, because it was lost in the shrieks of the kittiwakes and the wind. The boat disappeared out of sight, and Flint tore across the beach, shouting his sister's name again and again. Esker didn't wait for her iceberg to grind ashore. She leapt into the shallows, then raced over the snow after her friend. Flint whirled round. Why didn't you warn me? He clambered onto the rocks that closed the beach into the bay, and ducking low, peered over the top. Esker grabbed him by the arm, and they skidded down into the snow. Then she looked into his eyes, and in the silence that followed, she willed her friend to understand. Flint gasped. The Ice Queen has stolen your voice. And then he struggled against Esker's hold. We have to go after them. Blue's in danger. Esker tightened her grip. She knew they wouldn't win this way. They had to stay hidden, because blowing the frost horn from the stars was the only way to put an end to the Ice Queen and rescue Blue. Flint brushed his tears away as he listened to the faraway cry of the eagle. Balapan, she'll bring Blue and Pebble back, won't she? Esker nodded. Flint spoke quickly, his thoughts a tangle of panic and pain. If Balapan fails, Blue will be made a prisoner, like Ma, so, so the Ice Queen won't harm her immediately. Not until the midnight sun rises tomorrow. We still have time. 
The words were spoken as facts, but Flint's voice was wavering. If Balapan returns without Blue, she'll be okay until we go for her, with weapons and... and a plan, right? He glanced at Esker, then his shoulders slumped. But if the Ice Queen already has your voice, that means she can use it any time. We're too late. Esker looked at her feet. I should go after Blue now, Flint cried, kicking the rocks. What better plan are we going to come up with? Again, Esker held him fast. I never should have left her outside on the beach. Tears sprang into Flint's eyes again, but this time he didn't wipe them away. I should have been guarding her and fighting for her, like Tomkin would have done, not hiding in that igloo inventing. He spat the last word out with disgust, then sat down on a rock, his head in his hands. Esker did nothing for a few minutes. It was hard to work out what to do when there were no words left. Then she sat down too, and although she wasn't sure whether warriors turned inventors really approved of hugs, she hugged Flint anyway. They sat beneath the cliffs, but the eagle didn't return, and after a while Esker noticed the arm of Flint's fur parker was stained with blood. She tugged at it and frowned. Walrus blood, not my own, he sighed. I used my anything knife to kill it after it knocked us off the iceberg. He turned the weapon over in his hand, and Esker noticed the turquoise river gem in the hilt was gone. We would have drowned if I hadn't remembered at the very last moment what that stone contained, he paused. I infused it with a wisp of the south wind, and when I smashed it open and grabbed hold of a loose piece of ice with blue, the wind blew us safely back to shore. Esker smiled, a smile that was full of pride and respect for her friend. But I'm done with inventing now, Flint muttered. It only ever brings trouble. There was a squawk from the sky, and Balapan glided into the bay and landed in a tumble of bloodied feathers by their feet. Esker rushed forward and held the bird tight. Her wounds were not serious. Once the eagle preened herself, most of the blood would vanish. But there was no sign of blue or pebble. Flint hung his head. My little sister, this is all my fault. Esker stood up and strode towards the igloo, because Flint might be done with inventing, but she knew that his ideas were the only thing powerful enough to take her to the stars. It, it won't work, Flint stammered. I was mad to think it would. He clambered back up onto the rocks and scoured the coast for his sister, but she was long gone. We should be going after Blue. Esker carried on walking, with Balapan flying alongside her and the long white tusk raised in her hand. It shone like a slither of moonlight. It was impossible not to feel its magic. And at the sight of it, Flint gaped. You... you found the legendary Frosthorn! He hurried after Esker. But just because you have, it doesn't mean my invention will work. It's useless. Esker ignored him and broke into a run. Then Flint was running too, back towards the igloo. Esker disappeared inside, her heart thumping at what Flint might have made. But what she saw was not what she had been expecting. Arrows fletched with snow goose feathers to replace the quiverful she'd lost in the walrus attack. 
Esker tried to smile. She was grateful, of course, but how were these arrows going to take her and Flint to the stars? I was just using the leftover snow goose feathers to make you some more arrows. Flint looked at his feet. The invention is behind the igloo. It's too big to fit inside. Esker hurried outside where Balapan was waiting for her, and there, tucked behind the snow house, looking more glorious than she could ever have imagined, was Flint's latest invention. A vehicle carved entirely out of driftwood. It balanced on three wheels, one at the front, two behind, and in the hollow scoop of the body there were two seats and a small lever in front. But most splendid of all were the wings mounted on wooden rods above the vehicle. Giant white wings made from the hundreds of snow goose feathers Flint had gathered in the lost chambers. Esker blinked. How could Flint have done all this since the walrus attack that morning? As if he could sense her thoughts, Flint said, I worked through the night to get it done. Esker's baffled heart shone, because here was a friend who, like Balapan, would never let her down. And as she looked upon Flint's marvellous creation, she felt a stream of memories flood back, of someone else whose loyalty and love blazed just as brightly as this. Her pa, Wolftooth, a large man with blue eyes and a gentle face, carrying her on his shoulders when she was very little, wrapping her in an eider duck throw before a campfire, lifting her across the river's fastest currents. Esker let the memories eddy around her. Then Flint reached into his pocket and drew out a handful of little green gems. Solidified glowworm light, he said quietly, bottled at midnight during our stay in the Lost Chambers. Jay helped me when you and Blue were sleeping, should shine bright when the night closes in. He glanced at the engine, a wooden cylinder stoppered by a stone. Contains the loudest wolf growl ever heard in deep roots and a bolt of lightning from the bottle we used on the grey man yesterday. But even so, there's no guarantee it'll keep us going to the stars. Esker spun round and hugged Flint tighter than ever and Balapan ruffled her wings in delight. Flint blushed. I call it Woodbird, but I don't know if it'll fly. Esker grinned. Flint had lost his sister and his beloved fox pup. She had lost her voice. But here lay a way to reach the stars. Chapter 32 The Ice Queen the Ice Queen blinked two frost-crusted eyelashes at the statue in front of her. The glass was completely black now, and swirling inside the neck, behind the key Slither held in place, was a shimmering gold liquid. Esker's voice. Remove the key, the Ice Queen purred. Slither took it out, and the Ice Queen unscrewed the orb from her staff and slipped it beneath the throat of the statue, forcing the gold liquid to seep out into it. Then, when the last of the gold had dripped inside the orb, the Ice Queen waved her hand over it, and the black ice closed round Esker's voice. Placing the orb in the pocket of her gown, the Queen turned towards Slither. 
Tonight I shall play my organ one last time. I shall swallow the remaining voices in my choir, of course, but when that is done, I shall feed on Esker's voice before using it to call the outlawed children into my command and tear down the sky gods. She smiled. Then, with immortality achieved and the kingdom and the skies under our control, I will destroy the fur and feather tribes and our rule will begin in earnest. There was a scuffle of feet, then a tusk guard appeared in the doorway of the turret. He shoved a small girl dressed in furs forward. In her hands, she held a whimpering fox cub. The Ice Queen towered above Blue. A fur child, she hissed. Already the tribes are surrendering then. Found her up by the groaning splinters, the guard muttered. The Ice Queen stalked in a circle around Blue. Who are you? Blue sobbed into Pebble's fur. I scared. What, brother? The Ice Queen looked disgusted. Pathetic. She glanced at the guard. Feed her to the wolverines. She has no place in my kingdom. The tusk guard grabbed the scruff of Blue's neck and her sobs grew louder. What brother, Flint and Esker, I scared. The Ice Queen flinched at Esker's name, and supposing Flint to be the boy who had helped Esker escape from Winterfang, she motioned for the guard to stay where he was. She was silent for a few moments, then she slid her pale face in front of Blue's. Perhaps I won't throw you to the Wolverines just yet, she whispered. Perhaps I will keep you as bait. She raked a sharp nail down Blue's cheek. I want you to be the first thing Esker and that wretched boy see when I call the tribes in. The sight of your snivelling face will show them who has won. The Ice Queen smiled. You will never survive in my Erkenwald, but tonight you will play your part. Chapter 33 Flint. Faster, Flint cried. We need more speed to get this thing off the ground. Gripping the side of Woodbird tighter, Esker dug her heels into the snow and ran on. The vehicle careered forward, bumping over pebbles and juddering across patches of ice, and Flint swallowed as he glimpsed the rocks at the far side of the bay looming through the darkness. They needed to be airborne in the next few seconds. He pumped his legs harder, and Balapan yapped from above. Then, just metres before they smashed into the rocks, he yelled, Now! Esker leapt into the vehicle's back seat, while Flint jumped into the front. Then Flint snatched the lever before him, and Woodbird was yanked upwards, her wheels grazing the rocks below. Hardly daring to breathe, Flint hugged the lever to him. The engine spluttered and clanked, and for a second, Woodbird seemed to hang in the sky. Then there was a deep rumble from the back of the vehicle. Yes, Flint breathed. Come on, come on! The wolf growl grew louder and louder, and the spluttering stopped. Hold on to your stomach, 
Flint cried, and Woodbirds soared up into the sky, leaving the rocks and the bay far behind. Wide-eyed, Flint clutched the lever, and behind him Esker sat open-mouthed with the frost horn across her lap. They were racing through the night side by side with a golden eagle as the bolt of lightning inside the engine propelled them closer and closer to the stars. The glowworm light flickered from the wheels and the snow goose feathers spread out in a white arc above them. They were flying. His invention had actually worked and the speed and the height and the wonder of it all made Flint's face glow. Esker reached forward and shook Flint's shoulders. He glanced round, remembering how he'd envied Balapan before the groaning splinters. Wings, he cried above the engine noise, make all the difference. And they laughed then, despite everything, because they were climbing through the sky and the icebergs were like drops of milk on the silver-black ocean below. Flint glanced inland at the peaks of the Nevercliffs and the miles of frozen tundra around them. The night was clear, save for a few stray wisps of cloud, but Woodbird burst through those in a second, on and on towards the flickering stars. Balapan soared beside them, a rippling silhouette, and when Flint dipped his head at her, she shrieked with delight. The sky was her playground, and those she loved had found a way into it. Home to the eagles and the sky gods, Flint whispered to himself. Now this is surely the biggest detour yet. He gazed at the crescent moon in the distance, the last one before the midnight sun took over the next day, and moved the lever to the right so that Woodbird veered inland, towards Winterfang, and Blue and Pebble. The driftlands below were empty and dark. No lights shone from the tusk igloos and no shadows moved between them. The tusk tribe are gone, Flint cried. Esker shifted behind him. It seemed she knew as well as he did that they wouldn't be gone for good. They would be waiting somewhere for both of them, and as they rose higher and higher into the sky and eventually the Ice Queen's palace came into view... Flint and Esker saw the dark shapes of an army massed at the foot of the bridge. The tusks had been called to Winterfang. The Ice Queen was readying for a fight. Flint's fingers tightened round the lever, and Woodbird climbed through the night, up, up, up towards the stars. He lost track of time completely, but he knew they had arrived because of the silence. A quietness that could only exist in a place far removed from people. Here the stars were no longer small lights above him. They were a sea of dazzling diamonds, shimmering every which way he and Esker looked. The sky gods, Flint breathed, were floating among the gods. And he turned off Woodbird's engine so that they could glide in silence between the sparkling lights... Flint twisted round in his seat. Now, Esker, blow the frost horn before the Ice Queen uses your voice. Then, when the sky song stops, sing its tune. He paused. With the power of the gods on our side, we might be in with a chance of saving our kingdom. Esker held the narwhal tusk to her lips doubtfully. You can do it, 
Flint whispered. I believe in you, just like you believed in me with Woodbird. Esker threw a worried look over at Balapan, and Flint could tell that her courage was waning. Think of where we started all this, he said. You trapped in a music box, and me thinking tribes were fixed things and letting others in was dangerous. He glanced around at the stars. Well, look at us now, Esker. Look at where we've come. You've silenced the tribes. You've commanded animals. It's time to shake the skies. And those, Flint realised, were the words Esker needed. She pressed the frost horn to her mouth and breathed in, a great heaving breath that seemed to start right down in her toes, and blew. The sound was quiet at first, and Flint wondered how on earth such a small noise could make a difference. Then the sound grew louder and louder until it filled the sky around them, wobbling the moon, and just as White Fur had said it would, shaking the stars. It was a strong, clear note, and low, like an owl's hoot. Then it rose slowly to become a rippling melody, which made Flint think of the very first droplets of magic falling onto Erkenwald and bringing it to life. The melody became fuller, bolder, as if it was rising with the strength of mountains and ancient forests. Then the tune changed again, softer once more, but filled with such longing and heart that Flint felt that if hope was a song, it would sound just like this. Flint listened on. He had heard trees crash down in deep roots. He had heard the battle cries of warriors and the mighty roar of a grizzly bear. But those sounds were nothing compared to this. The sky song was the call of Esker's tribe, built of wild, unexpected things. Urken bears, eagles, giants, inventors, little lost girls and the sky gods themselves. And it was the fiercest sound of all. Flint looked at Esker when, eventually, her breath ran out and the sound of the horn died away. She raised a hand to her throat and Flint hoped with everything inside him that the sky song had brought her voice back. But when Esker opened her mouth to speak, nothing came out. Woodbird floated on through the night beside Balapan. The sky gods... Flint whispered, they must have heard the song. Maybe they'll come to our aid. And at that moment, after almost a year without even the faintest flicker of the northern lights, the sky filled with colour. Green spirals rippled through the night, bulging and swelling, before fading away to let ribbons of lilac twirl through. Red arcs curved above them, then beams of blue flooded down. Flint and Esker smiled, and Balapan rolled a somersault in joy. The sky gods are dancing again, Flint whispered. They're acknowledging that you are the rightful owner of the sky song. Maybe that means... The lights dimmed suddenly. Out of nowhere, the Ice Queen's anthem crawled into the night, and then, without warning, Woodbird fell from the sky. Down through the glitter of stars, down through the night, as if the sky gods themselves had spat the children out of their secret world. Flint screamed. Esker flung her arms round his waist, and Balapan plummeted with them, her wings tucked in tight. Eyes streaming, Flint grappled for the lever and switched the engine back on. 
They were going too fast to heave Woodbird up now, but he could still steer. He could land this if he needed to. He gathered the vehicle back into his control. Then he and Esker gasped. Winterfang was directly below them, a sprawl of ice towers and domes. Flint winced. He could hear the Ice Queen's anthem more clearly now, a dim drone compared to the blast of the Frosthorn, but it was there all the same, and it filled him with terror, because any moment now, the Ice Queen would sing with Esker's voice. Flint swerved to miss the ice towers and circled round to the front of the palace, but the rumble of Woodbird's engine was enough to rouse those in the fortress. The anthem cut to silence. There was a dreadful hush. Then Flint's heart lurched as he looked down. Standing in an ice arch, fronting the hall he'd trespassed into only two weeks before, was the Ice Queen. A wolverine on one side and on the other, his little sister clutching Pebble. See? The Ice Queen screeched, winding a hand round Blue's neck. I get everything I want in the end. Everyone will bow down to me. She drew the black orb out from her gown and caressed it. The northern lights you saw just moments ago were the sky gods recognising my claim on Esker's voice. Flint shook his head in disbelief. Esker had stirred the sky gods with the frost horn. She had journeyed to the groaning splinters and then on into the stars, not the Ice Queen. And yet, as Flint looked at the Queen now, and the men, women and children from the Tusk tribe cheering before the palace, he wondered whether he and Esker had, in fact, been too late. Had the power of the Sky Song belonged to the Ice Queen from the moment Esker's voice vanished? My brother! Blue cried from the arch. My brother! Flint could barely see through the rage and the pain of what was unfolding below. He and Esker weren't enough, he realised now, not in the face of an ice queen and a tusk tribe baying for their lives. He circled helplessly above the jeering army, then Balapan cried out beside them and Esker stood up. Red hair streaming in the wind, she raised the frost horn to her lips again and blew. The sound was different from before. Instead of the sky song, there came a summoning blast full of spirit and fight, and at the sound, Balapan's circles widened and the eagle sent her call out into the wild. The Ice Queen threw back her head and laughed, and her army did the same. But out of the corner of his eye, Flint could see other things happening, children dressed in wolf furs and feathered shoulder plates marching along the cliff tops towards the palace, their arms taut against their bows. The Feather Tribe, Flint gasped, wheeling Woodbird above them. They, they came at your call, Esker. Esker blinked. Jay and his tribe had kept their promise. The Tusk tribe shifted and one or two reached for their spears, but the Ice Queen only cackled. And here come the Feather tribe at last, she called, sensing the power I now hold with Esker's voice. They have surrendered just hours before the midnight sun rises. Flint frowned. Had the Ice Queen drawn Jay's tribe here? Had they come to surrender rather than fight? Then he noticed the Urken bears flanking the children on either side and the direction the tribe's arrows were pointing. 
straight at the Ice Queen's heart. He breathed again. This was not a tribe coming in to surrender. Then Flint saw something else. Hurtling across the snow from the south came dozens of sleds pulled by huskies. Flint blinked once, twice, and then a third time. The fur tribe, his tribe, had come, despite the detours and the inventions, despite everything. Esker pointed to the stone giant charging forward in the midst of the fur tribe, and Flint's jaw dropped. The grey man, Flint murmured. When he left us, he said he had someone he wanted to talk to. He must have raced to Deep Roots to summon the fur tribe while we went on to the groaning splinters. But there was another person Flint was even gladder to see, and as he took in the warrior boy steering the front sled, leading his tribe on towards the palace, his heart burst with pride. Tomkin, he roared. The Ice Queen shot Woodbird and its passengers a furious look because she realised now who the tribes had come for and that although she held Esker's voice inside her orb, it was not hers for the keeping quite yet. I will tear you down, Esker, the Ice Queen screamed, and your pathetic little friend up there with you. I own your voice now. The fur tribe drew closer, and Tomkin leapt off his sled and shouted up to the arch where the Ice Queen stood. Oi! he yelled. That's my brother, and no one talks to him like that. Flint's heart soared at Tomkin's words. Then he steered Woodbird between the ice towers and down towards the bridge where it was flat enough to land. Flint turned to Esker. You own the Sky Song, Esker, and here is your tribe. He pointed to the outlawed children, the giant and the urchin bears below. Everyone here has come because of you. And at his words, Jay's army released their arrows, a flurry of wooden feathers, into the middle of the Tusk tribe. Chapter 34 Esker The battle raged before the palace. Tusk guards smashed at arrows with their ice spears and shadow shields, while the fur tribe leapt off their sleds and swung javelins. Wolverines and urchin bears clashed. Balapan dived towards a rearing wolf and nestled inside Woodbird. Esker realised there was something strange about the weapons the outlaws were wielding. The feather tribe's arrows were tipped with fist-sized silver balls, which burst upon impact and turned the tusk guards into statues of ice. And the wooden javelins the fur tribe launched seemed to unravel as they struck, casting a web of inescapable vines around their enemy. Flint gasped. Blizzard balls. Willow-snatching javelins. And Esker knew what that meant. The tribes, both of them, were using magic to fight the Ice Queen. Flint landed Woodbird on the bridge with a jolt. Down on the Driftlands, Tomkin and Jay were wielding weapons so fast the unravelling vines and ice explosions were just a blur in the moonlight. Tomkin looked up at the bridge as Flint pulled Woodbird to a halt. Then Jay tossed him a quiver and he raced towards his younger brother before thrusting the javelin into Flint's hand and the quiver filled with blizzard balls at Esker. Get blue, he roared, turning back to the fight. We'll hold the guards. 
Leaving Balapan in the throes of the battle, Esker and Flint leapt out of Woodbird onto the bridge. They looked up at the arches leading into the palace hall. We're going to need a run-up for this, Flint muttered. They rushed forward together, launching off the bridge and flinging themselves onto the sill of an arch. Esker's pulse quickened at the scene before her. It was as if she had never left. Just metres away lay the empty music box, and beyond that the organ shrouded in icicles and the cluster of silver trees strung with baubles. A familiar fear rippled through her. The Ice Queen stood before the trees, one hand curled round a black orb, her lips parted just before it, and her other hand wrapped round Blue's neck. Beside them, Slither smirked, now and again taunting the fox pup that whimpered in Blue's arms. The Ice Queen lowered the orb and her expression soured. So many interruptions. She slipped the orb into the pocket of her gown, then opened a welcoming arm. Esker, darling, back so soon, she paused, but with no voice, no plan, no way to set all this right, she sniggered, and with two tribes of children fighting a battle they're sure to lose. Blotting out the Ice Queen's words, Esker slotted the frost horn into her quiver, then pushed a blizzard ball onto the tip of an arrow, knocked it to her bow, and pointed it at the Ice Queen. The candles in the chandelier hissed, and the Ice Queen tightened her grasp on Blue's neck. Not so hasty, she laughed. You wouldn't want me to squeeze too tight, would you? Blue began to cry, but the Ice Queen's gaze slid to Flint. And who exactly is your ridiculous little friend? Flint squared his shoulders. Flint, brother of the Chief of the Fur Tribe and famous inventor. He readied Tomkin's javelin in front of him. I've come for my little sister and my ma. Esker and Flint leapt from the ice sill, but they hadn't taken more than a few strides across the hall when a dozen tusk guards stepped out from the shadows. Esker gritted her teeth. They want a fight? Flint spat, so let's give it to them. And Esker filled with fresh rage as she thought of all that the Ice Queen had taken from her, her parents, her memories, her voice, narrowed her eyes and pulled back on her bow. The guards took another step closer. Then Esker fired. Her first blizzard ball hit true, sending one guard crashing to his knees before hardening into ice. But then another guard released a spear, and only in the nick of time did Flint hurl himself forward, slashing the weapon in two with his anything knife, before sending the willow vines coiling round the guard's legs. Esker whipped another arrow to her bow, her muscles taut with fury, and back to back, she and her friend gave the tusk guards everything they had, for Blue, for Flint's Ma and Esker's own Pa, and for a whole kingdom on the brink of the Ice Queen's rule. Esker's face flared with sweat, and Flint's cheek was bleeding from where an ice spear had grazed his skin. But there were only two guards left now, and while Flint and Esker drew them closer, edging back towards the palace wall, Esker ducked beneath one's legs at the very last moment, giving her and Flint the chance they needed to finish the guards off. Panting, Esker looked up at the Ice Queen. 
but she simply thrust Blue towards Slither and reached for her crystal staff. Blue tried to wrench free from the shaman's grasp, but he held her and Pebble fast. Don't like it, Blue sobbed. Won't go home. Eska's heart surged with pity for her friend. You call this lump of uselessness a sister, the Ice Queen sneered. What good is she to anybody? Eska started forward with Flint, her jaw clenched, but she wasn't quick enough to stop what came next. The Ice Queen held her staff over Blue's body, and though Eska and Flint were now tearing across the hall, they could see the black sparks shooting out of the staff and showering over Blue. The little girl's body stiffened and drained of colour. Then, a moment later, she was nothing more than a statue carved from ice, clutching a frozen fox pup. No! Flint gasped. No! The Ice Queen smiled. Oh, I'm not done yet. And in one deft movement, she smashed her staff into the statue and the ice shattered upon impact, falling as a shower of glinting crystals. Flint rushed close, but the broken pieces of his sister and his fox pup lay in a heap before him. Eska's blood screamed as she knelt beside Flint, and in that moment of grief, both she and Flint let their guard down. The Ice Queen seized Eska by the shoulders, and Slither grabbed Flint, but the Ice Queen's grip was stronger than her shaman's, two pincers of ice digging into Eska's bones, and she couldn't wrestle free like Flint. He staggered backwards, his eyes filled with tears, and Eska's heart swelled with hope at the thought that Flint might be able to fix things. But Flint didn't fight for her or call out to Tomkin in the battle outside. His eyes met hers. They were utterly defeated. Then he turned and ran from the hall, and Eska could only blink after his fading footsteps. Slither hastened across the room, but the Ice Queen shook her head. Let him go to his mute mar in the Ice Tower, or just to weep at the loss of his silly sister. He's a coward, the Ice Queen muttered, and we've got more important things to deal with. Eska stared at the empty space where Flint had been, hardly able to breathe. How could he have deserted her when she needed him most? Shock and hurt coursed through her. She tried to wriggle free, but the Ice Queen dug her nails in harder, her grasp locking the muscles Eska needed to escape. And as she was dragged across the hall, past the silver trees and the organ, she realised where the Ice Queen was taking her. The music box. The prison she'd fought so hard to get away from. She shot a panicked glance towards the arches, but Balapan was nowhere to be seen. The Ice Queen breathed on the glass dome, and it vanished from sight. Then she hurled Eska onto the pedestal. The key, Slither! Slither fumbled in his pocket, then he drew it out and slotted it into the music box. The Ice Queen smiled as she uttered her spell, and Slither turned the key. Three turns to the left, then half a turn right. With a key cut black as the deepest night, the magic awakes, then limbs unfold, as the stolen child comes under my hold. 
The music began, soft and chiming, and as the Ice Queen released her hold, Eska felt her body succumb to the music box spell once more. The pedestal turned, Eska danced, and her eyes blurred with tears. This wasn't how things were meant to end. Blue was gone, Flint had abandoned her, Balapan wasn't there to help, and somewhere in this palace, her pa remained trapped. The Ice Queen turned away with Slither until all that Eska could see was the dark stamp of the tattooed eye on the back of his skull. Confident that she was no longer being watched, Eska tried to swivel her own eyes round to her quiver. Was the Frosthorn still there? If she could just reach it, perhaps it could help her. There was a low laugh and Slither spun round. I have eyes in the back of my head, child, and I knew that if you thought we weren't looking, you'd give away your only escape route. He marched over to the music box and tore the frosthorn from her quiver. I'll be having that. Esker danced on, the despair swelling inside her. Then Slither drew back his arm and hurled the horn through one of the arches. Eska didn't hear it crash to the ground. The din of the battle drowned the sound. But she knew that she was completely alone now. Without Flint, without the Frosthorn, without Balapan by her side, and without any plans to stop the Ice Queen from using her voice. The Ice Queen breathed on the glass dome over the music box. Then she sat before her organ and played. The notes sounded louder than ever before, then her anthem rang out, comprised of just one gloomy voice. A single bauble glowed from the trees, and as the gold drifted from it towards the organ, the battle cries of the fur and feather tribes dimmed. Then the Ice Queen swallowed the last of her stolen voices. Eska's heart sank, and as she turned helplessly on her pedestal, she watched the Ice Queen lift the black orb from her pocket. She breathed over the orb, and a little hole in the top melted to show a golden liquid shimmering inside. Eska could feel the pull of all the words she had ever spoken coming from that glow, and she knew then that this was her voice. The Ice Queen drained the golden liquid in one terrible gulp and screwed the empty orb back onto her staff. Eska hardly dared breathe. The Fur and Feather tribes would surrender any moment now. The Ice Queen would capture them and swallow their voices to gain her immortality. Then she would wipe out the tribes and use Eska's sky song to tear the gods down. This was the start of the Ice Queen's rule. But it was not the sound of surrender that Eska heard next. It was an eagle's cry, sharp and high. Balapan swooped through an arch, and as Eska saw her, she realised why she had not heard the frosthorn clattering onto the ice. The bird had caught it mid-flight, and it was clutched in her talons now. You came... Eska's heart beat. You came when everyone else deserted me. Balapan soared towards the music box and used the frost horn to smash the glass away. But neither the Ice Queen nor her shaman flinched. 
Eska's body is under my spell, the Ice Queen cried. No beast can help her now. But the Ice Queen underestimated the eagle and the bond between it and the girl. Theirs was a connection that went beyond music box spells, ice staffs and cursed statues. And as Balapan hurled the frost horn towards Eska, she felt her body rage against the Ice Queen's enchantment. Out shot her hand, into it fell the frost horn, and as she closed her fingers around the tusk, Eska leapt down from the pedestal and glared at the Ice Queen. Chapter 35 Eska The Ice Queen stood up from the organ. Not possible, she murmured. Balapan dived low and landed on Eska's shoulder, and with the strength of the eagle willing her on, Eska advanced through the hall. The Ice Queen turned to Slither. Find the boy, just in case he's lurking, and kill him while I destroy the eagle. The fur and feather battle cries clamoured again, and Eska, holding the frost horn in front of her like a shield, strode on towards the Ice Queen. She had no voice, but she had an eagle on her shoulder and a heart full of courage, so she kept walking, veering round the organ to the heap of shattered ice where Blue and Pebble had once been. Soon the ice will melt, the Queen cried. You've lost your friends forever. But Eska wasn't listening. She raised the frost horn to her lips and thought of Blue and Pebble, of the little girl who had left her home to follow her brother through every possible danger, and the fox pup who had tried his hardest to protect her in the bay. She blew gently this time, and the horn sung a different note again, not the sky song or the battle summoning. Instead, the sound was like clouds rippling, and it stirred the crystals on the floor, whisking them up into the air until they swirled and glimmered. The Ice Queen rushed forward, but a shape was already emerging within the crystals. Only it wasn't a statue anymore. In its place stood a girl with ruddy cheeks and a bundle of fur wriggling in her arms. The Ice Queen raised her staff and shrieked, You will not undo my power, Eska! Black sparks shot out from her staff, but Eska stood in front of Blue, and as she held the frost horn in front of her, the sparks bounced off and fizzled out on the floor. We Eska's tribe, Blue shouted, no longer scared now that Eska was there to guard her. She stroked Pebble's head. We her friends, and we never give up. Balapan cried out from Eska's shoulder, and the Ice Queen stalked closer. Except Flint, she said quietly. He seemed very happy to run away earlier. Blue shook her head. Flint fight for Eska, always looking for her, always fighting for her, never leave. The Ice Queen sighed, blind as well as stupid. There was a scuffle of footsteps from the door. Come, Slither, the Ice Queen called. But it was not the shaman who emerged from the passageway. It was Flint. The Ice Queen snorted. If you tied Slither up with Willow Snatch, he'll break its curse in an instant. Flint raised an eyebrow. 
Not if the willow snatch is drenched in water gathered from a whirlpool. That'll bind him for months on end. He paused. You didn't think I'd enter your palace without a few inventions up my sleeve, did you? Eyes wild, the Ice Queen raised her staff towards Flint, but at that moment, Blue rushed forward and kicked the Queen in the back of the legs. Flint's jaw dropped. His sister, alive and full of fight. Black sparks ricocheted off the walls as the Ice Queen stumbled to her knees, but it gave Flint the chance he needed and he darted towards the trees, grabbing Blue by the hand as he raced past. He thrust a small wooden box at Esker, and from her shoulder, Balapan croaked. Your memories, Flint panted as Pebble nuzzled round his legs. I searched the whole palace until I found this in the throne turret. Esker could scarcely believe what she was hearing. Flint hadn't abandoned her. He'd gone to find her past. When I saw the Ice Queen's power over Blue... Flint cried. I realised we needed all the help we could get to beat her. You need to remember who you are, Esker, if you're going to take back your voice. The Ice Queen was on her feet again, her staff aimed at Esker. You won't be able to open it, she shrieked. There is no key. I hurled it to the bottom of the ocean the day I captured you. Esker's skin trembled, but Flint held up his anything knife to the keyhole and twisted it this way and that. The Ice Queen strode forward, and though the power of the Frosthorn was enough to keep the black sparks of her magic away from the group, a trail of sweat inched down Esker's back as Flint worked his knife in the lock. Come on, brother, Blue urged. Quick! Flint fumbled with the knife, but the Ice Queen was upon them now, brandishing her staff, and then, just as she brought it down, a shadow fell across her. Esker glanced up to see a large shape had filled one of the palace arches, and she realised she recognised those broad shoulders and wide-set legs. White fur. The Urken bear leapt into the room and bounded across the floor towards the Ice Queen. She took a few steps backwards and then remembered herself and aimed her staff at the raging bear. A burst of sparks shot out and the Urken bear tumbled backwards, but it was up again in seconds. Flint worked harder with his knife until there was a click, and as Whitefur launched himself at the Ice Queen, Esker pushed the wooden lid open. A swirl of colours twisted towards her, and as they fell about her face, it felt to Esker as if she was looking at a rainbow through the mist. But then the mist seemed to fade, and the colours became stronger, and finally Esker saw her past clearly. She was sledging in the Nevercliffs with her ma, then she was hunting caribou on the Driftlands with her pa. Next she was making necklaces from river quartz with her parents, then she was running hand in hand with them across the foothills to catch a glimpse of a golden eagle. This was her past, a lifetime out in the wild with two people who loved her more than she could have hoped for. And suddenly... Knowing her place, knowing her beginnings and all that had come after that made her grip the frost horn harder. Whitefur wrestled with the Ice Queen, a whirl of claws and nails and fizzing black sparks, and as Esker saw them like that, a more painful memory surfaced. The last moments with her parents on the Driftlands, 
her ma crying out for her as the wolverines closed in, the urchin bear trying to set things right, and then a tusk warrior dragging her and her pa to Winterfang. Whitefur hadn't managed to hold the Ice Queen back then, but now he fought with a vengeance, and as he thumped an enormous paw across the Queen's chest, pinning her to the ground, he growled at Eska. And Eska could hear the words in that growl, because it was the language of those who wandered the wild. Take what is rightfully yours, it said. Take back your voice. Eska stormed towards the Ice Queen, while Flint shoved Blue behind him and took on the stream of tusk guards pouring through the arches. Whitefur winced as the Ice Queen struggled beneath him and sent a fresh flurry of sparks into his side, but Eska was running now, and she swung the frost horn at the Ice Queen's staff. The scepter broke apart upon impact, shattering into fragments of black ice. The queen gasped as the ice melted before her eyes and a gold mist seeped from her lips. It drifted into the hall and settled inside the baubles on the trees until all of them shone gold once again. The ice queen raised a hand to her mouth, but an even brighter mist was slipping through her fingers now, a mist that burned as gold as Balapan's eyes. It swirled into the hall and Eska stood completely still, as she breathed her voice back inside her. Leaving Flint to fight the last of the tusk guards, Eska sped across the room and leapt up into an open arch. Balapan glided to her shoulder, and they looked at the fight below, a frenzy of blizzard balls, ice spears, and willow-snatching javelins. Then Eska held the frost horn high, and desperately hoping she could remember its song, she threw her newfound voice out into the night. At first she sang the low, clear note, the one that had sounded like an owl's hoot. Then she launched into the rippling melody, and her song rose like bubbles from the depths of the sea. A few of the tusk guards looked up at her, their weapons suddenly limp in their hands, and Eska noticed then that their expressions had changed. They were no longer blank and ice-eyed, their faces were filled with shock and shame, and something like hope. And though Eska didn't dare stop singing, she wondered whether the Ice Queen's hold over her tusk army was gradually weakening. Eska let the melody grow louder, stronger, and as the sky song burst out, she could feel the power of the mountains and the forests and the glaciers stirring inside her. More tusk guards stopped fighting, the wolverines and the urchin bears broke apart, and Eska saw Rook, her face brighter and kinder than it had been in the lost chambers, push her way through the crowds towards the palace until she was standing alongside Jay and Tomkin. Eska blinked. Even the tusk guards, frozen by blizzard balls and imprisoned by willow snatch, were breaking free from the magic that had bound them and looking up to her with eager faces. All the tribes were listening now, because the Ice Queen's curses had worn off. Eska raised her eyes to the stars, to the mighty sky gods glistening from above, and as she sang the last part of the sky song, the melody filled with longing and heart and infinite wonder, the sound of her voice swirled up into the night, 
and the northern lights began to dance. Balapan leapt from her shoulder, wheeling into the colours that spilled into rings and halos across the dark, and Eska knew then that no one in Erkenwald could doubt the presence of magic. The sky gods were up there, and they were dancing for every tribe to see. Eska cleared her throat. A few weeks ago, I was nothing more than a prisoner here at Winterfang, she cried. The Ice Queen locked me in a music box and told me I was cursed. She stole my parents, she stole my memories, and then she stole my voice. Eska took a deep breath. But together with the bravest inventor I know, I escaped and formed a tribe. And though it wasn't made up of warriors or people who dressed and thought the same way, it was enough, because we were brave and we kept hoping, and though the Ice Queen threw everything she had at us, tusk guards, cursed wolves, mountain ghouls and thunder ghosts, we threw more back. Balapan settled on her shoulder and ruffled her feathers, we kept going when everything fell apart. We trusted strangers even when we didn't have a plan. She paused, and when the Ice Queen tried to silence us, we shouted louder. She raised the frost horn high. For almost a year we've lived in a kingdom shrunk to whispers, in a place where the tribes hide from one another in fear, but that is not our Erkenwold. It's time to reclaim our kingdom. There was a deafening roar from below as all three tribes cheered Eska on. She spun round to see the last of the tusk guards sitting on the floor, shaking his head as if waking from a terrible dream, and she knew that the Ice Queen's curse had been broken once and for all. She watched as Flint raked his anything knife through the baubles that hung from the trees. They crashed to the ground, finally free from the Ice Queen's enchantment, and as Blue stamped them into tiny pieces, the golden glow of the imprisoned voices drifted through the palace towards the ice towers. White Fur was slumped over the Ice Queen, and his weight held her still. But as Eska approached, clasping the frost horn tight, the Ice Queen's voice trickled out. You and I could work together, Eska. Two great voices with the power to... Eska didn't wait for any more. The Ice Queen was as weak as a ragdoll now her power had been drained, and Eska dragged her to her feet before shoving her towards the music box. She forced the Ice Queen onto the pedestal, then with Flint's help she hauled the glass dome over the top and turned the small black key again and again, faster and faster, until her whole arm ached. Music began, a clash of discordant notes this time, and very slowly the Ice Queen's body began to break apart into tiny shards of ice. Moments later, all that was left of her was a gown of frozen tears. Eska rushed back to Whitefur and bent down beside him. Thank you, she whispered. You held the Ice Queen back so that I could call the tribes together. The Urken Bear didn't reply, and Eska's hand stilled over his fur. White fur? She leaned over so that she could see his other side. It was red beyond repair. 
and only then did Eska realise what had happened. While she had been uniting the tribes, Whitefur had been dying. Flint and Blue gathered close. I thought Urken Bears couldn't die, Eska said in a small voice. I thought Whitefur was beyond the Ice Queen's dark magic. She let her head rest against the bears as the tears began to fall, and Flint and Blue did the same. He fought for you out on the Driftlands last year, Flint's voice was choked, and he fought inside the palace tonight. He would have fought again, Esker, because his heart was good and true and brave. Erkenbears, Esker said through the tears, I remember my pa's stories about them now. Wanderers call them the ever-wandering ones. They believe that even after they die, their souls speak to us when fresh snow falls. And though the thought of being able to speak to Whitefur again sent a glimmer of hope through Esker, it didn't ease the pain, and she cried on for the life of her old friend. They lay with their arms round the Erkenbear for a while longer, then... The sound of pummeling footsteps filled the palace. The prisoners in the ice towers, they've been freed, Flint breathed, forcing himself to his feet. Ma! He rushed from the hall, hand in hand with Blue, and Eska would have followed had her ears not snagged on another sound. Eska? Eska's legs felt suddenly weak beneath her, and her breath scudded through her throat because she recognised that voice. Pa, she whispered, and then louder as she rushed towards the arches where the call had come from. Pa! Grabbing an abandoned knife from the ground, Eska leapt out onto the palace wall. She dug the knife into the ice there and used it to clamber up to the top of the highest dome. Then she stood up tall. Pa! Tomkin and Blade had scaled the ice towers and hacked open the door that blocked the prisoners in, and now men, women, uncles, aunts and grandparents were pouring across the bridges that connected the towers to the palace and rushing into the arms of their children. Eska's eyes flitted between the crowds, then they fixed on a tall man with broad shoulders who wore the furs of a silver wolf. He was faster than the others over the bridges, but he didn't rush into the palace. He grabbed a spear from the ground, snapped it in two, then he dug the spikes into the ice dome and began to climb towards his daughter. Eska felt her heart shake. Pa! Wolftooth hauled himself up onto the top of the dome, but he didn't stop to gather his breath. He rushed towards Eska and scooped her up in his arms. My little girl, he sobbed, my precious little girl. And as Balapan called out from the velvet sky above, Eska held on to her pa. Epilogue And so it was that the Ice Queen's rule crumbled. The sun rose just hours after the battle ended, and because this was the midnight sun, the one that would shine all through the spring and summer without ever setting, the enchanted iceberg melted as quickly as it had been conjured. Spires fell, walls slumped, 
and the ice oozed out into the sea. Nothing remained afterwards, not even the music box or the silver trees. The tribes boarded their sleds, and at the invitation of the feather chief and chieftainess, raced across the ice towards the never cliffs. There was a time for hiding and a time for fighting, but this, everyone knew, was the time for a feast. Long into the next day, the tribes talked, ate, and drank goblets of cloudberry juice inside the lost chambers. And as so often happens after adventures end, the stories began. Tales of blizzard balls and wolverines, of willow snatch and cursed musk oxen. But no story was as bold and as magical as the one Esker, Flint and Blue had to tell. There were interruptions, of course, for stories in their first telling are rarely neat or simple. But despite Blue's dramatic gurgling sounds when recounting the episode with the Thunder Ghosts, despite Pebbles yapping at the Ice Spider incident, and despite Tomkins' apologies to Flint for ever doubting his inventions or the power of Erkenwald's magic, the trio did, eventually, get to the end of their tale. And all the while, the golden eagle perched on Eska's shoulder. The girl wondered whether the bird would leave her now that their quest was over. But then a new story was told by Wolftooth, one from a father to his daughter about a woman who had befriended an orca while caught out at sea. The whale was never tamed, for that would be like trying to tame the waves. But the animal shared a bond with the woman right through to the end, and Eska began to understand then that even though this adventure might be over, something that would not and could not be broken had been left in its wake. Friendship. Between a wanderer and a golden eagle, but also between them and a fox pup, an inventor boy, and a little girl with a very large heart. There was singing and dancing in the hours that followed, the Feather Tribe sang of ancient giants, much to the grey man's delight, but he made a point of not showing it by complaining extra loudly about the cricked back he had acquired when crawling through the entrance to the Lost Chambers, because giants like nothing better than a good dose of sympathy. The Fur Tribe danced, a reenactment of a legendary hunt which involved a lot of stamping and quite a few drums, and the tusks retold their ancestors' stories, through soapstone carvings. As midnight drew near, everyone gathered outside the lost chambers. The sky was still a dazzling blue, but despite the sunlight, six stars glinted like faraway diamonds. The sky god's magic was there for all to see, and even though the tail of the little bear had lost one of its lights, the constellation seemed to burn brighter than it had done before. And to Esker, Flint and Blue, the stars felt like a reminder of the dear friend they had buried in the Nevercliffs a few hours before, and of what the smallest and most unlikely of tribes could do with a pocket full of courage. Eventually, the tribes dispersed, tired from a night of celebration and full of promise for an awakened and harmonious Erkenwald. A plan was formed by Wolftooth and Wildpaw for the following weeks, because when grown-ups get involved, that lamentably happens. But this was a plan built of wanderer rules and fur tribe invitations. 
The hideaway behind the giant's beard was to be Wolftooth and Esker's home for a while, until the seasons changed and they felt like moving on. First, though, Flint had a detour he wanted to share with Esker, one that involved cloud cushions, weather clocks and moonlight hammocks. But just as Wildpaw and Wolftooth were readying their sleds, there was a roar that shook the core of the highest mountain. Two enormous urchin bears bounded through the snow and stopped before the gathering. Esker dipped her head at the bears, then she climbed up onto one, while Flint, Blue and Pebble mounted the other. The children didn't need to tell the bears where they wanted to be taken. The urchin bears already knew. This was a journey home. They charged through the cliffs, and as her golden eagle cried out in the sky above, Esker leant close to the urchin bear. Her words were hushed and almost lost to the sound of thundering paws. But the wind heard, and it carried her voice up and up, past the eagle's wings and beyond the peaks of the Nevercliffs, until it reached the constellation glittering over the kingdom. This is the wild, Esker whispered to the sky gods, and the wild doesn't play by ordinary rules. Sky Song was written by Abby Elphinston and read by Nikki Diss. It was produced by Heavy Entertainment. This has been a presentation of Simon & Schuster Audio.